Now Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I'd been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Finally doing what I'm meant to do. What is going on? Wow. Feels good. Not going to lie, feels really good to be sitting here. It's been a hot minute, and I'll be honest with you, I was holding back tears sitting here because I wasn't sure I was ever going to do this again. I went through a lot in the last three months, but hey, we keep fighting. That's what we do on this show. I know that's what my guest Polly has been doing for years and years, and just super grateful to be here, to have this platform, and, and for all of you joining, whether it's live or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of those places, thank you. Thank you so much. I've done a lot of reflecting in the last few months, and you know, this is where it all started. This is where it all started for me. I took a chance and started this podcast a couple years ago now, three years ago, I guess now. Wow. 
Um, and it changed my life forever. Uh, you know, I, I got vulnerable and I just thought, hey, if I start to share my story, maybe, just maybe, it can help one person. And it's opened the doors, not just for me, but I think for a lot of people to, you know, reach out and ask for help. And, you know, again, I, I don't have all the answers. I still need to do a better job at that myself. And that's why I'm really excited about this conversation here uh, tonight. I'm so excited. We have some comments coming in. What's up to Dean and Michelle and Chris there in the comments. Thank you so much. If you're if you're watching, don't be shy. Uh, fire away in the comment section. Uh, if you're following me on Instagram at Mental Health Hockey, you may have seen on my story. We're going to do a giveaway here tonight. We have a limited edition puck support hoodie with the have a great day if you so choose. On the back, we're going to give away one of those. Also, we're going to give away a limited edition puck support coin, but you got to stick around for the whole show because I'm going to be question, throw a question at the end. And uh, the answer is Muskoka hockey. And that's my segue. So when I ask the question at the end of the show, if you want to win, um, we'll get to more details at the end of the show, but the answer is Muskoka hockey. Um, really excited. Just before we bring Polly in, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, I'm not going to get to all of it off the hop here, but um, I'm super excited for another summer ahead. Last summer, I think a lot of people know, I had the awesome opportunity to be a part of Muskoka hockey, which is spearheaded by Sam Gagne of the Winnipeg Jets. And a ton of NHL guys on the ice that I got to work with last summer. It was a dream come true, especially thinking where I was not too long ago. Uh, just to be back on the ice in any capacity is a dream come true. But we're opening the door for younger athletes as well. And uh, Sam's asked me to be a big part of it. And, you know, we're organizing it all. I'm not organizing it all, but I've certainly been in, in the meeting today. And, and I'm just so excited for it. So uh, follow at Muskoka Hockey on Instagram. If you're looking for summer training, high-level summer training, uh, stay tuned for more details on Muskoka hockey and remember the answer at the end of the show it's Muskoka hockey a um, couple more things uh, yesterday uh, marked two years of, of the tragic death uh, of Daniel Miner former Barry Colt uh, he passed away of an overdose two years ago yesterday and uh, talked a lot about this on about him on my show uh, over the last few years and you know I never got a chance to meet Daniel though so badly, I wish I would have had the opportunity to do so. Uh, following his passing, though, I've really become close to his family, to his mom and dad, Tom and Michelle, his wife, Haley, his son, Jack, Lindsay, Harper, Ainsley, Zach. Uh, they've really opened the doors of their house literally many times where I've gone down there and stayed with them. And, and they've come up here a few times as well. Um, and they've really just allowed me to share Daniel's story in hopes of helping other people. And, and you know, I just want to I know they're probably watching right now. I just want to just say how much I love you guys and how much you mean to me and, and to puck support. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to you every single day, but yesterday I know it was a very difficult day. And, uh, you know, I know it's, uh, it's not easy. I really don't know what to say other than that. I love you so much. Um, and you know, we're gonna, we're gonna use stories like Daniel's to change the world. I have absolutely no doubt. Uh, without further ado, though, uh, let's get this conversation going. I'm really excited. I'm not going to do a long, dramatic intro. I'm just going to say that Paulie O'Byrne is a guy that I met, I guess, in the summertime. And I was doing a speaking event uh, down in St. Mary's for the Nick Smith Memorial Golf Fund, who is another hockey player who tragically passed away uh, by suicide uh, in 2019. His picture's here behind me. And uh, I was down there speaking, and I didn't know Paulie was there. Um, and after my speaking event, he came over and we started to chat and I was just blown away 
uh, you know, by him, by his story. Uh, I obviously did a lot of research on him after that. And um, he's really been doing what, you know, some of the work that I've been doing, but taking it to another level for many years longer than I have. And so I really, really admire and look up to this guy. And when I met him, I knew we were going to be brothers for life. And it's unfortunate that we live so far away. But thank God for technology here tonight, because uh, it's opened the door for us to have this conversation. So without further ado, let's bring him in my buddy, Polly O'Byrne. Welcome, Polly. Thanks, buddy. That's pretty good. I like that. That was a good intro. Well, you know, I, I'm a little rusty, Polly. I'm not going to lie, but uh, there's so much that I could say, but I, I can't say it any better than the man himself can say it. And, you know, you have a, a very, very powerful story, a hard story to hear. And before we get into it, I just want to say thank you uh, for, for doing what you've been doing for so many years, long before mental health was a buzzword, long before people were even opening the door to listen to people talk about addiction and, and substance misuse, use, whatever you want to call it, suicide, all of it. And not only have you shared your story, you've taken it upon yourself to take your real life experience and to go and, and get the credentials as well. You've gone to school and we're going to hear all about that. You work for CMHA and, and you're doing many other things. So I just, before we get into it, I really admire you on a personal level. Um, and, and I just have so much respect for you and thank you. Uh, for for being so brave many, many years ago when when nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but not a whole lot of people were paying attention and you've been out there fighting this fight, not just for yourself, but for all of us as well. So thank you, Polly. I, I appreciate, appreciate that a lot, Brady. I think, you know, the work that I put in all those years of, and it felt like a very lonely kind of road out there. I feel like um, I've been able to give other people opportunities, you know, like yourself to, to, to find some hope and to find that vulnerability and to find another dude who's, who's willing to be vulnerable and talk about that stuff, you know, like, and I think that's probably, you know, for a long time, I, I regretted ever talking. And then, uh, and then I found guys like, like you and I'm like, you know what, like these guys are here. Cause I, cause I just didn't give up. Like I just did not give up. And I, you know, I was slandered a million times about my past and so many different platforms and, and I think the thing about me is I'm a little bit stubborn, you know, and so I, um, you know, I call it determination and, and a lot of other people may call it stubbornness. It, it, you know, I think it all, it really stems from like, you know, the first time I ever went to a sexual assault center, they slammed the door in my face. And I thought, I can never let this happen to another guy. You know, like, I can't, I can't ever. And so I think. I haven't shut up since, you know, and I think that that's what I just, I just keep going. Cause I don't know what else to do. This is, I, it's a responsibility of mine. Um, you know, I love doing it. It's hard. I don't like going around and talking about the awful things that happened in my life. I don't enjoy it. It's not great. It's not, it's not, you know, the, the best of th times, but I try to, I try my hardest to put a really positive spin on it. I try to put some humor in it cause, cause, if I, if I can laugh about it and, and that's relatable to someone, then they may feel comfortable. And that's yes. ultimately really is just to have a conversation where you can be vulnerable and comfortable. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's this whole thing. Absolutely. And you've, you've done that for so many people over the years, Polly. And uh, you know, I want to kind of get into to people uh, into your story so that people have a little bit more of an idea. And I, we talked about it a little bit before we came on, I know you've done this a zillion times and, and I, I do too. Right. And it's, it's tough. And it t every time I share my story, it takes a little bit, 
a little bit from me, but after, you know, after, you know, digesting it, it always does fill my cup back up knowing that, you know, my story, your story has the power to, to change the world, to help one person, uh, to, to provide hope, even in the darkest of places. So um, why don't you start, you know, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up. I, I know you're a hockey player as well. And, and, and maybe just start there. For sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a nut for hockey, you know, I'm an absolute nut for hockey and I have been since day one, you know, I, um, I grew up in Halifax. Um, I, my father was in the military. My mom was a teacher and, uh, and hockey was our thing. You know, like it was just, I, I, I sometimes tell people like I probably gave my mom her own C-section from the inside. Cause I don't remember a time not skating or not on the ice you know like I was just always constantly on the ice and you know like little little things like I remember my dad was left-handed and he desperately wanted to be me to be a left-handed shot and he'd give me a left-handed stick and I'd shoot it right you know like I just wasn't his kind of hockey player you know my brother I have an older brother really talented hockey player played some really great hockey and and he was blessed with it, you know, like he was just born with really good talent, really good genes. And I was blessed with like this attitude that's like, I have to try to find another avenue to be effective. You know, like I'm not going to score a hundred goals. I'd skate like the wind, but you know, like it's like Luis Mendoza from the mighty ducks. I could skate. Right. But I just can't stop. So it was, it was, it was a cool upbringing. Uh, with some really unfortunate events, you know, like I, 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 um, you know, I struggled a lot um, moving around as a kid in a military family. It was, uh, it's left long lasting effects on my life, you know, like moving around as a military child, I really struggle with setting roots down, you know, like I, I really struggle with this is where I'm from. This is where I live. I've lived here for 20 years it's never been a thing for me I've, I've never in my life had that and so it's that that attachment thing and 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 you know my dad was away for for months and months at a time and I didn't know where he was you know I was a little kid and I was with my mom and my brother and he was gone and all my friends at school their mom or dads were gone and then they'd come home and we wouldn't talk about it and it just was a weird, th I look back hindsight and think like, obviously it's pretty strong post-traumatic stress, but as a kid, you know, like four or five, six years old, you don't, you don't understand that. And, and for me, my dad was like my hero, right? He's this six foot seven giant man who, who I thought, you know, was this awesome guy who's a great hockey player and he's a really good role model and he's a soldier for our country. And I was very, very proud that he was, you know, that he was in the military and he was part of the Canadian forces. And I had no idea what was going on in his life, not a clue what was going on in his life. And as I got older, um, he decided to, to leave the military. Uh, and I finally, I remember, I remember even thinking like, all right, like we're finally out of this hellhole, you know, like we're finally out of this shit of, you know, authority, like I didn't get my hair cut at a barber until I was 15, you know, like I always just shaved my head or got my head shaved on the back deck. It was, it was so weird to get my hair, you know, washed by someone else. It was the most bizarre thing in the world to be like, wow, like this is a barber shop and like a hairdresser. That's kind of cool. And I remember that, but 
so when I was seven, we moved, um, we moved to Ontario. Uh, my dad uh, became a police officer, which I was like, fuck, you know, like, man, I just, I struggled with it. And, uh, and uh, in his first week, we were, we were here. I remember being very young um, and there was an officer shot and killed. And, um, and, it, and it put something in me and, I, and, it's, and it's lasted. It planted a seed in me that, that festered. And I now know it as anxiety, you know, but it planted the seed as a seven-year-old kid that I'm not safe. My dad's not safe. The people around me aren't safe. And I don't like the feeling, you know, like I just didn't, I was a, you know, sensitive, emotional kid who loved his father, who couldn't fathom, you know, like it was that age where you, where you realize like life is real and you only get one of them, you know, like you don't get two of these, you don't get to restart. And, you know, like kids think maybe that's possible, but at seven, you really realize that like, we have one life. It's all that empathetic civilization stuff, right? So it planted this seed in me, and, and I really struggled with that anxiety in school, uh, in, in my social life, uh, around other people. One place that didn't bother me on the ice, you know, like I'd go out on the ice, strap my skates on, and, and you know, like it's cliche, but nothing else mattered, you know, like it just didn't matter. The other things that were going on at home didn't matter at all. Cause I was out on the ice and I could have hit the post and not scored the whole practice. And I was like, I love this. Like, I love this. I could have been the worst at practice. And I still thought like, I love this shit. You know, it's, I wish I could have been, you know, a little bit better. And so I, I worked really hard at getting really good. You know, like I just, I, I went to hockey schools and I, and I busted my ass and, my brother was playing triple A and, um, and I wanted to play triple A, you know, like I just, I was playing up, you know, a year. So I was playing novice and I was playing with the Adam reps. And then when I was an Adam, I was playing with the peewees. So I always played a year ahead. And, and I think that that's how an athlete or, or an athlete with kind of my mindset is, you know, like I want to play with the best so that I can be the best, you know, like that's, it's just, I think that's, you know, a little bit of psychology when it comes to that, that it, that it pushes you. And it definitely pushed me to be a really good hockey player. And, um, you know, I was, I got to be a, a decent enough hockey player. Um, but I always wanted to be at the rink. So I was like a timekeeper at our rink. I'd like go in the morning to like move the nets for old timers. I was just a rink rat. It was down the road from my place. And it was a place that I could escape from home. And so when my dad became a police officer, he got really abusive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I bet to this day he would never admit that, you know, like he would never admit. He would just say that he was being a stern East Coast father, you know, and he was beating the shit out of us. And it and it sucked, you know, like it it taught me to lie. So I learned to lie really young because I'd have these bruises and, you know, I had a broken arm once and. I'd have to lie to my schoolmates about what happened, you know, and, and I, because I was ashamed, you know, I didn't want, everyone knew that my dad was like the hero and I loved that he was my dad. And I, and this start, this shit started happening. I was like, I can't let anyone know, you know, like I just can't let anyone know. And so the ice was my place and I, you know, I loved it. And I tried my hardest to, you know, when I was playing, my dad would be there with his, you know, his cop uniform on with police right across here. And he'd be the classic dad in the corner, you know, arms crossed, 
sitting in the corner drinking a coffee and you know like I couldn't I if I scored 100 goals in a game it would never have been enough you know it just was never enough because he, he really compared me to my brother my brother he'd go out on the ice and score a hat trick every night like it was just something he did he was really good he saw the ice well his hockey IQ was really high and I just got this drive like I that's all I got was this drive and and that wasn't good enough for this guy so I always share this story. Um, he scored 40 goals in 18 games one year, my brother did. And I was pissed, man. He put this list on our fridge of, you know, like he'd, he'd put a tick every time he'd get a goal. And he got 40 goals in 18 games. And I was like, who is this guy? It was his Bantam draft year. So, he, you know, like he put up numbers because he wanted to get drafted and he did. And so he, I remember him telling me, like, you're never going to get 40 goals. And I was like, fuck you, pal. You know, like, no way. And I went to my driveway, I set up my road hockey net, I put 40 tennis balls in my net, and I went to the fridge and I put my list right next to his, and I thought, no one's ever going to tell me that I can't do something. And I've thought about that 40 goals my entire life, man, because people have been shutting me down, shutting me down, and shutting me down, and telling me I can't do this, and I can't do that. For 38 years, you know, like I was never going to get drafted. I got drafted. I finally drafted into the OHL. The very last round, I was a charity pick, you know, but I did it. I made it. You know, I played a lot of junior B. I played a lot of um, like a lot of junior B. And I, and I found my role in that, you know, like I was not there to score goals at all. I have 34 points in, in four years. I have 600 penalty minutes. I, I That's just... So that's no joke. 600 bims in four years. That's a lot of throwing down. And that, that, and, and so, and part of that, people are like, Oh, that's like great numbers. But I would, it was a goal of mine because back, back then you could fight twice in a game. And, 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 and usually like I try to get a 10 after that, you know, like I'd really try to get a 10 from the box so that it fed my addiction. It really did. And I had no idea that it was feeding this addiction. But if I got to the dressing room first, I could have first dibs of the beer. And I could watch the game from the dressing room and they'd all be playing. My teammates would be playing and I'd be cranking beers in the dressing room. And I loved it. I thought, man, this is the life. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You know, I fought Danny Carcillo was my roommate uh, in Sarnia and he taught me how to fight, you know, and the car bomb knows how to fight, you yeah. know, like if there's one thing that that kid is good at, Man, he could throw them. And I was glad that he was teaching me and I wasn't taking them from him, you know? No kidding. And so, Danny, we hung out a lot and and he he really taught me how to hold my own and, and said, like, you want to make it? You got to make it. And, you know, I played a few games with Dustin Brown and I thought, like, this is awesome. And, and I played a game with Dan Girardi before he got traded. And I thought, like, this is it. Like, if I try, if I keep working, I don't care if I go to the NHL. Like, I just kind of want to go to Europe and, I can have a pretty decent shot at going to Europe in a Danish league. How sweet's that? You know, like I don't mind going to Switzerland and playing hockey. So that was kind of my goal going to high school. Um, and I, and I thought it was okay. You know, like I thought this is the place that I can get away from, from my dad. This is the stuff where I can just be me, you know, and, but I still had this like seed of anxiety. I hated kicking the shit out of guys, man. Like I fucking hated it. It made me feel terrible because that's not the person I am away from the rank, right? Like I, I may have been in three street fights my whole life 
I just don't like it. I don't like confrontation, but I knew in that in in hockey that was my role, and it's the only reason I was there. And so I I had to, and I and I it the seed of anxiety just like festered because I would you know we'd get we'd go to the hallway right, and I would want to go to their dressing room and be like, man, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. is there anything I can do for you? Like, can I get you a beer? Can I, you know, like I'd always want to do that. And, and, uh, you know, it didn't make me a very good enforcer, you know, it just didn't make me that tough guy that, you know, I was working out a lot. I was 210 pounds. I was, you know, six, two really good shape. I'd work my ass off to get there. Um, never really thought of addiction or, or trauma other than, the shit that was kind of going on at home, you know, like, um, I guess I can back up a little bit. I, I, when we moved to Mount Forest that when I was young, my neighbor, who is, who's quite a bit older than me, like a, a senior guy. Um, I didn't know anything about sexual abuse, but, but he, you know, I'd go over and his wife would want me to like water the plants in the garden, you know? And I was like, Oh, I'm helping, I'm helping a grandma out, you know, and her husband was there and he started to touch me like really inappropriately. And I didn't know that that was sexual abuse. I had no idea. Just felt weird. He told me to not tell anyone. He did it, you know, 10 times and then that was it. And then he never did it again and he died. And, and I never thought anything of it, but this stuff started, you know, what, like at the end of my hockey, I was 17, 18 and I started to see this guy and it started like in my head. Right. Mm -hmm. I just started to like, see like, maybe this was wrong, you know, like maybe, maybe this was wrong, but I'm going to put it to bed. I'm not talking about it. I'm going to hope that this was just a bad dream, you know? And, uh, and then, um, you know, in a succession of a few weeks, my, my vice principal in high school said, Paulie, I hope the pro hockey works for you because college isn't for everyone. And I really struggled in school, you know, like I loved being around my buddies. I loved being at school. I didn't, I loved, you know, like I just didn't like being in class, but I loved being around my buddies. We had a really, really solid crew of people, you know, guys and girls that we just we just got through stuff together. Uh, you know, when I was 16, um, right before I like all this stuff kind of happened in a few weeks. So when I was 16, right at Christmas time, um, we were having our semi formal for high school and uh incredible girl that that we grew up with was killed in a car accident and uh and we just all got through that and it was awful but we all got through it just by sticking together you know we we just you know we just stuck together and and it wasn't a thing that where people told us to do that we just did it you know and it brought us really close and and we got through high school kind of the whole class kind of got through high school knowing that Serena was with us and that you know, it sucked, but we all were kind of there for us. And, and that really helped because I didn't I didn't experience that before. You know, I was kind of a shock to the system. So so my vice principal says, I hope you, I hope pro hockey works for you. College isn't for everyone. And I thought back to that list of 40 goals, you know, and I was like, fuck you, pal. Like, don't tell me I can't do something. I'm not the smartest guy. But I, but if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. So I applied to five colleges in Ontario and I got into five colleges. I got accepted to five colleges and I sent this vice principal, my, my acceptance letters. That's awesome. I said like, you know, like, and I never heard from him. I, I like, I said, I hope he got a nice grin on his face when he, when he opened up that big envelope. I, I hope he thought like, whatever, man. 
And so I thought, I'm not going to go to college anyways. I did this to piss this guy off. Regardless, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep playing hockey. And, you know, as soon as I, you know, said, oh, I'm going to keep playing hockey, karma hit me real hard. And I don't know if you remember Kelsey Wilson. Uh, K-Bomb, he's an awesome guy, but uh, he hit me one time playing. I took a, you know, a stupid pass from like the half boards and I turned my body towards the boards instead of like putting my back on the boards and opening my body up to the play. I stupidly took it on my backhand face to the boards and Kelsey came and, and full steam ahead, did what he was supposed to do and ran right through me like a freight train, you know, like this guy was a monster and he hit like a Mack truck. And, uh, and I don't remember all of it. Uh, you know, I remember screaming. I was like, number one, that was the first thing I remember is just screaming our trainers out there in and out, uh, ambulance. I'm on a stretcher. I'm in an ambulance. I'm in, I'm in Guelph hospital and they're cutting my equipment off. And you'll know this, man. Like, like I, I was like, I don't care if I have a fucking broken neck. Like I'll take this Jersey off. Do not cut this Jersey off. And they sliced up both sides of my jersey right here, right to my neck, took it off me. I was bawling, man, in tears, not from the pain. How old are you here, Billy? How old are you? Pardon me? How old are you right Uh, now? I would have been 19. Okay. Okay. Just for. Yeah. Just bawling my eyes out. And they're like cutting my pants. My. So I, they, I, I remember looking and it, I'm not a good guy with blood. I've never been a good guy with blood. I faint. Right. I just, I just, you know, I'm glad that I was good at fighting cause I wouldn't have been able to, to see that much, but I looked down and it was like, I, all I can really describe it as is like a dinosaur claw going through my leg, like at my knee. And I was like, what in the fuck happened? Like something bad happened here. And, you know, they cut my skates off. I was super pissed about that. And so then I go on for surgery and I come out and I'm, you know, my GM's there and uh, my coach is there, the trainer's there and these doctors are there and, and they're not looking very positive. And I'm like, oh, f- like shit, what am I, what's up? You know, <laughs> like, and they were, it was like, I, like a dog died or something. Like I was like, I just feel the, the negative energy and, and this doctor went on to say that my, my patella had been kind of blown up. Uh, I've been shattered into 30 pieces. And so now I had a prosthetic kneecap. It had to like cut my leg in half, basically at my knee, put this prosthetic kneecap in, big calcium thing, and then reattach everything. So I had this cage that was drilled into my hip and then drilled into my ankle. And I had uh, like 17 screws in my leg on both sides all the way down. It's like a, you know, the halos when people break their necks, it was like that, except around my leg, my whole leg. And I was in traction. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is it. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to go to college. Like I, like, I am not prepared for this. I didn't go to all my science classes and like, I don't want to go to college. This is my goal. This is my dream. You know, like it's everything. It's everything. You put all your eggs in one basket and I totally get why people do that. You know, like I only have a plan A. I don't want plan B distracts me from plan A. I got one plan and that is going. And, you know, like with with an athletic mentality, I hate losing more than I like winning. I hate it. I hate losing. I just do. 
And, and so I felt like I lost, you know, like I felt like I lost myself and man, in a matter of probably six days, I, I'd gone into this huge depression, you know, like didn't go to the rink, didn't leave my room unless it was to piss. I couldn't really go anywhere, but I, you know, I was just so down, you know, like so incredibly down on myself and, and what, what's this Irish guy from the East coast supposed to do? You know, like I know one thing to get rid of that feeling that little seed is to drink, you know, like that's just what I know how to do. And I, and I've always been a big drinker. I like it. Never thought I was an alcoholic. I'm just Irish and I'm proud to be Irish. You know, like there's a reason my last name has an O and apostrophe. That's why we drink, you know, like it's just, it's a culture thing. All my family drinks, everyone drinks. It's a very normal thing. And so that's what I did. I didn't know any any different I really struggled like I just struggled finding my place being someone that wasn't a hockey player you know I just that was my identity and I didn't know how to be Polly without being uh, a hockey player you know like that's what got me the girls that's what got me the drugs that's what got me into the parties that's what got me into the cool crowd was being a hockey player amen if not what you know like what am I and that, and I was like fuck I, you know, like I, you know, I got to, I'd gone to camp as a kid and I, you know, I'd kept really good in contact with my friends at camp and, you know, I was like, no, we're done. I'm not talking to anyone. No one, no more. We're done. And I cut everyone off. I was like, no, I, I'm done with this. And people were pretty worried about me. And, you know, this is kind of before cell phones. So people didn't call me very much, but it, you know, it was, it was just like, I told people basically, I, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go to college and I don't know what I'm going to do, but but I, but I don't want to be doing this. And so I remember, uh, I remember the summer before I went to college, I, I just got stupid drunk. Um, like every, you know, every weekend, every, you know, most days I would get pretty drunk. I worked at a landscape company. And so like, it was sweet. We'd just get on the lawnmowers and cut grass and drink beer and, and, and I had no cares. And I was like, I finally get to move away from home. And, I was going to move to Sarnia to, to Lambton college. And, and that was, I was like, all right, finally I get out of here. It can be different. You know, like I just, I didn't know what I wanted. I just know, knew that I didn't want that. You know, like I knew for a fact that wasn't the environment. My, my old man, I finally at 19 hit my old man back and he never hit me again. Mm. And I said like, enough, enough, you know, like, fuck you, pal. Stop doing this, you know? And he never hit me again when I finally stood up for myself, but, took a long time you know it took a long time for me to be that brave because i i didn't care i had no cares at all i didn't care if he got his gun and shot me like i just it was this depression stuff that i couldn't put a label on i didn't know it was depression i just had the case of the fuckets i didn't i didn't care i lived my life on in the fast lane and uh and i remember like the summer before i went to sarnia man i did a lot of drugs and it was the first summer that i really kind of dabbled in in with cocaine i'd done it you know in my rookie year and a little bit in high school but uh for the most part it was it was a lot of drinking you know from from 13 on but yeah this year this summer before i went to sign man i hit it hard and, and i loved it i loved the feeling it got me hooked you know I, well it's it's, it's probably it's sort of like you you go back to and i relate so much to everything you're saying man like everything you're saying i'm just like yeah i'm nodding over here like my neck's gonna yeah. be sore tomorrow um <laughs> but you think back to that escape being on the ice being being at, even just in the atmosphere of the rink where nothing else matters 
And for me, that's what I found drugs did for me was even after I stopped really liking the feeling, because for me that subsided, especially with the cocaine, where it just became paranoia and all these other things that that come with it. But it felt even that felt better than having to sit with my own shit, like my own <laughs> feelings. It was like anything but myself, anything but yeah. me. So I would have sat. I would have sat in the garden of cactuses, man, and then talked about my feelings. Like I just, it's, it's, it's how I was brought up, you know, and I can't, I can't blame my family. That's how they were brought up, you know, like they didn't know any different. I don't blame them. If I'm going to blame them for the good stuff or bad stuff, I got to blame them for the good stuff too. You know, like uh, I blame them with me being as resilient as I am. They taught me how to be resilient. One, that's one thing for sure. By giving up on me, they taught me to be resilient and, and, uh, and so, yeah, I would do anything, you know, I would do absolutely anything to not be me. And, uh, and I loved it. It was great. So I, so I went to college, I went to Sarnia. It's called high performance now, like it's your HP one, uh, like coaching certificate. And, uh, back then it was just like through NCCP, like national coaches, Canadian coaches certification program. And so I was like, this is all I know. I'm going to do this. Cause I was in college for sports and rec administration, which Really, you can do two routes. You can go work in marketing and sports marketing, or you can get into the coaching side of things. And I thought, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this NCCP thing. It takes people sometimes like three years to do, but I had this big cage around my leg, and I had nothing but time, you know. So, so I enrolled in it, and uh, and I, you know, I thought like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'll be a hockey coach, and like, it's all I know. I didn't go to all my math classes. I'm not going to be an accountant. I not going to be a doctor. I certainly didn't go to all my science classes, you know, like hockey has been my thing and I know the game and I love the science of the game. And, you know, like I was the same kid that, you know, we hear about Wayne Gretzky when he was a kid and he'd have this full scap piece of paper, like an ice rink and he'd just trace around where the puck went. I did that, you know, like that was just something that I did because I loved the mechanics of it, the the science of hockey, how people thought, how plays thought. And so part of this NCCP program was like, you know, you have to develop a whole 60-minute game of plays and you have to defend those 60 minutes of plays, you know. So it took a long time to do, but um, I met this girl the first night of college in Cernia and and, and I, I always tell people this, like I looked across, she was blonde, she's curly hair, she's wearing a mini skirt, she was hammered drunk. And I thought... I am going to marry this girl. Like she is it. She checks all the boxes. She's hammer drunk. I can drink with her, right? She's a party animal. We can party together. Later in that night, I found out she was a stripper. I'm like, this is incredible. Like I've now hit the pinnacle of coolness, you know, like, or so I thought, you know, my ego was bigger than Sarnia. And I thought like, people are going to think that I'm the coolest guy. Cause I'm dating Amber. She's a stripper at the port. Like, this is awesome. And we dated, you know, and it was great. And we had a lot of fun together, like a lot of fun together. We had a lot of fun together until it wasn't any fun anymore. You know, like, oh, yeah, that was one of those ones. That's the problem. Is it like I thought for sure, like uh, this is be the person I'm married. This will be who I have children with. And, you know, like she was in school for being a nurse. And I was like, cool, you're paying your way through school, through nursing school being a dancer like this is incredible you're a smart girl you know she was she's a really smart girl it's a party animal and, and so you know i did my hockey coach stuff and she did her dancing and her nursing and we set off you know we set life off 
And we thought we had life by the balls, you know. And so I finished up in 18 months, which was a really cool, you know, I fast tracked it because I, because I already had a lot of knowledge in hockey. Right. And so at, um, at 21 years old, right after my 21st birthday, I became a certified, a nationally certified hockey coach, which means I coach at any level anywhere in the world with this certificate. And I was like, this is awesome. Like I had my brace off. Uh, I was walking with a cane. I was still having a little bit of pain with my leg, but I thought maybe I'll be able to even just stand on the ice with a, with a pair of skates on. And that's how I'll get back on the ice. And so we decided to move. Amber got pregnant. And, uh, and so we decided to move. She obviously it's, it's bad for business. If you're pregnant and you're a stripper, you know, like it's just bad, bad marketing, you know? So we decided to move and uh, we moved to this little town called Delhi. And I didn't know anything about it. It's this little tobacco town in, in Ontario. And I knew nothing about it. Her family was somewhat around there. And so we, we moved there and I, you know, I found out a lot about her family and that's whole, that's a whole other podcast, you know, like talking about her family is a whole other deal. It, it let, they just wore, you know, they had long hair and they wore leather vests and they rode motorcycles, you know, like that was just the people that they were. And, and I loved it. I loved being submerged in the chaos of that, right? Yeah. Man, we, we man, me and you, sorry, Polly, to cut you off. Though they're different, the stories are so, so similar. And the stuff about this, about your ex, and, uh, you know, that's the same life that I got thrust into at 21 years old, 22 years old with my ex. And I've never talked about it, but I cannot tell you the similarities in the story are just insane. Please keep going. It, it was a trip, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me that because it it sometimes sucks saying that stuff, you know? Like, it's sometimes not – I thought I was, like, on top of the world, and really I was just a sad, fearful, um, you know, like, really shameful human, you know? Like, that's all I felt like, and I was, I was masking it by – by being with these people and doing bad things and like it fed me, you know, it fed me. So we moved to Delhi um, and it was just kind of divine intervention or, you know, per perfect timing. There's a, there's a sign up that they were going to hire hockey. They're, they're looking for hockey coaches for their AAA program. And I thought, boom, like, this is perfect. I could be 21 and coaching midget AAA. Like these kids are only really two years younger than me, three years younger than me. This is awesome. And so, um, so when we moved there, I applied for this job. I gave them all my credentials and, and, uh, and, and then my life came crashing down and I, and I can't tell you how fast it was. It was 2 million miles a minute. Uh, like everything came crashing down. So it's something that I don't, you know, a lot of people that I have some friends that are watching tonight and they may not know this about me. It's something that I, that I don't share a ton, um, but I feel like it's a safe place and I feel like I can share with you. And um, some people know, some people don't. So on August 31st, 2006, I had a daughter, Emily, uh, born and she was the light of my life. Um, and September 2nd, she passed away from SIDS. And so it was our first night home from the hospital. And I was this 21 year old kid who just gone, you know, pumped up about being a dad. And I just, you know, I just applied to do this hockey coach stuff and we just moved and I just got, you know, a little bit better with my leg and I'd lost my child. 
and it was hard to process, man. It was, uh, I can tell you right now that I, you know, I don't really talk about it. I've been in therapy about it, but I remember burying her. I remember being at the cemetery and I've never been back and I won't, I won't go back for a really long time because I still have this, you know, and it's probably very delusional now that I say, you know, and I've said it out loud, it's very delusional. I think that someday maybe she'll knock on my door, you know, and, and, and maybe that gives me a little bit of hope in my, in my, in my chest, but you know, I have two big wings tattooed on my shoulder and those are for her. And, and uh, if anyone ever asks about why the wings are there, they're for her, you know? And, and so I didn't know how to deal with that. I'm 21 years old. Got this, got this, you know, nursery at home and she passes away in her nursery, right? The first night home from hospital and, and she was born very healthy and, and so about two days after Emily's funeral, I had a phone call um, from the president of minor hockey uh, from his wife. And so she said, we saw your credentials. We can't believe you're in Delhi, Ontario. Like we really want to meet you and get you in this organization. And I thought, this is sweet. This is going to be one way that I can, if I can get back out on the ice, if I can just find one way back out on the ice, I can get through this Emily stuff. I know that I can. I can just get back out on the ice. I can, and I was still really raw. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to talk about it. I was in a new town where I didn't know anyone and I just lost this little girl. And so I went and I met this president of minor hockey and uh, at a barbecue. And man, he seemed like he had it all together. He was, you know, the fire chief. He was the president of the Legion. He's the president of minor hockey. He just won citizen of the year. He was very well known, very well connected in town. And he had some really good connections with European pro hockey. And I was like, this is really cool. And I found out later who he's connected to. And I don't want to be connected to him. You know, like I, I'll say his name once, but I, but I really don't like saying his name is that this guy was connected to Graham James, you know, and I didn't know that. I had no fucking idea that that's who his connection was. And, and, you know, we know about Graham James and, and, and how sick and twisted that fucking guy is. This guy was, and I didn't know that then. So, so I meet him and he wants to, he wants me to go to a hockey practice. And so I go to a hockey practice and he right away says, yep, you're our guy. Like we'll hire your staff for you. You obviously don't know anyone here, so we'll hire your staff for you, but you, but you got this job if you want it. And I said, perfect. Like, yep, I need this job. I need, I need something to distract me from life outside of this right now like I just need to and I was desperate and I think he picked up on that that I was desperate you know and that I was vulnerable and so he said he was going to come over that was a Sunday he said he was going to come over on the Tuesday night and get my certificates you know I wouldn't carry that stuff around in my wallet it's just something that I have at home and so I was working at a welding shop at the time and um and he came over to my house on the Tuesday night after and Amber was you know she was um she had to go back to Sarnia for, for school or something. And so I came home from the welding shop for the day and, and he said, yeah, I'll be over. He, he called me and said, yeah, I'll be over. And I, you know, I got all ready and, and I went out to his truck and we, he said, we're going to go, we're going to drive to this other town. Just there's a practice going on. And he wants to shoot his systems. And, and I thought for sure, like, that's, that's how it works. You know, like that's how you know about how systems are and how these kids come up through the system. And you want to teach the same, you want to be, you know, fluid in that, bring your own kind of stuff. We really want to be fluid in that. And, and so we got to this rank and there's no one there. The doors were locked. And I thought like, 
That's super weird. You're the president of minor hockey and you don't know when your practices are. Like, and I, you know, I just, it just was a super weird kind of thing. He, he, he was drinking and driving like on the way over and I didn't think anything of it, you know, like I just didn't think anything of it because I would, you know, I grew up in, you know, rural Ontario and we drank and drove and it was a normal thing. And I'd seen lots of people drink and drive and it just wasn't a bad thing. So I, so, so we, we leave. Right. And, and he says, well, we'll just go back. You know, there's no practice tonight. We'll just go back and have a few beers and we'll talk about hockey. So we went to this bar. I probably had like four beers and, uh, you know, he was slugging them back. He's probably at 12. And I don't know if anyone has ever welded, but I don't like to be hung over when I weld. It sucks. You know, like it just sucks to be under a hood hung over. So I said, like, it's a Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. I got to get going. I really don't drink anymore. Like I just got to get going home. I'd like to clean up before Amber gets home. And, and you know, it's, he started to talk about not hockey things, you know, like just things that I was like, what? You know, like he, he was asking me about how it felt the first time I had sex with my girlfriend when I was, you know, when I lost my virginity. And I was like, what? Like just kind of dumbfounded, you know, no red flags were going up. I just didn't understand why he was talking like that. And so um, I, I just, I, I, I wish I would have known, you know, like I look back and that was the turning point that I wish I would have known, but I didn't, you know? And, and so I said, I got to get going. He said, I'll drive you home. I said, whatever, sure. Let's, you know, if Delhi is not a very big town, I could have walked. And, uh, and so we get to my apartment. You have to walk up these stairs to my apartment. There was no light in the hallway up these stairs, the end of the hallway. So I thought he'd drop me off and he'd driven off. In my head, I can, I can picture him driving off, or so I thought. And so I got up to the top of these stairs. It's dark. I'm fumbling around with my keys. I finally get my key in the lock. I open my door, and this guy's right behind me, like right here. And he pushes me in my apartment. He locks the door behind him. Says he's going to kill me if he can't rape me. And so he rapes me for 45 minutes. I'm 21 years old. I just lost my child. I didn't have a clue about, you know, rape. I, I just had no idea about it. Um, and changed everything, Brady. I'm telling you, it changed my mission, my values, who I was, what I was, what I was about. Every single thing about my whole cellular system changed in those 45 minutes. And I can tell you that I've never, ever, ever in my life been the same. And I probably won't ever be the same again. And and I think maybe now it's probably a good thing that I'll never be the same again because I've, I've, I've come a long way. I've grown a lot in the last 17 years since September 6, 2006, you know. Um, September 19th, 2006 was the worst day of my life. It continues to be the worst day of my life. I'd like to erase it from the calendar, you know, but um, as long as I keep plugging along, September 19th is always going to be there. So I, I obviously have to do some things and shit got bad, man. It, uh, I, I, you know, like he, in the situation he left and, and then came back in, he forgot his coat or something. He said, I'll be back next week. And for some reason that window of opportunity was open. And I thought I put 40 goals in my net, you know, like I'm going to say something. I went through years of this happening not saying anything about my neighbor doing this as a kid. And it really planted this gross seed. And in that moment, I thought I scored 40 goals. You know, I'm going to, I got to do something. I have to call someone.
And so I went outside. I'm in my boxers. I throw my boxers on. I'm outside because I'm having a smoke and my neighbor's out there. And it's like, fuck, 1.30 in the morning. And she's like, whoa, Polly, something's going on. Like something is clearly, ha- I can't, I can't, you know, I'm bawling my eyes and I'm hysterical, like absolutely hysterical, losing my mind. And I said, I think I just got raped by, by this guy, you know, and I used his name and she said, I'm calling the police. And so she said, you know, that night she called the police for me. And, um, I really didn't get Like, I just thought I, something's got to happen. I know that I need to be somewhere right now. Amber can't find me like this is my number one. Amber cannot find me like this. So the police came right away and, and you got to imagine, I've just, you know, the police in this town of the, the guy, I just accused the guy that's the president of minor hockey. So most of these cops, their kids play in minor hockey. You know, I just accused the, the president of the Legion, the fire chief, of rape, you know, like these cops did not take me seriously for a second. And so I got put in the back of a cruiser. I got brought to a hospital. Um, you know, when you go through that, your clothes are now evidence, you know, like that's now evidence. I got given a gown, a hospital gown and, you know, had to do a rape kit, had to do that whole thing, which is the most disgusting thing you ever have to do. You're violated and you're violated and you're violated again. And these people at the hospital, you know, like same thing, you know, they, I was accusing this person who was very upstanding in this community of rape, you know, so I got treated like dog shit in the hospital, like I was the criminal. And so the police then brought me, put me in the back of a cruiser again, brought me back to police station and I had to give my statement. And so I gave my statement. I called Amber. I said, Amber, I'm at the police station. Something happened. I need you to pick me up. She freaked, lost her mind. Like, I probably should have said, like, I was a victim of crime or something, but I just didn't know what to tell her. I just had no idea. I just said, I'm at the police station. I need you to pick me up. Can you, you know, like, can you bring some clothes? Just something, right? So she came, picked me up. She didn't believe me. She's like, no, there's no way this happened. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I just need someone to believe me. Like, I just need, like, why on earth would I make this up at 21 years old who wants a job from this guy? Why would I ever make this up? So she, she, we drove back from the, from Simcoe to Delhi and, and we didn't, she didn't say a word to me. And I know right then that I fell out of love with her in that 15 minutes, I fell out of love with her. And, and I, you know, I struggled with people believing me ever since, you know, like uh, she's very adamant that, you know, I went back to the apartment that I was just raped in, you know, and, and we didn't move. We stayed there for six months. Um, the day after like say September 20th, I started, I started self-harming and uh, it's something that I've really struggled with for six, 16 years. Uh, no one taught me how to do it. I just, I was, I felt so disgusting. Like my skin needed to be burnt off. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I've, you know, I've, I've struggled with self-harm for a long time because of that incident. And, and, uh, Paul, I just want to, just want to hop in. Um, First of all, thanks for sharing that, not just with me, but with everybody. I know you've shared it before, but that can't be, I cannot be easy. It's, it's, it's horrible. Um, I believe you 100% brother. Like I, I, I know, and, and I wish so badly that things could have been different back then. I can't imagine the the feelings that you felt then. Um, and, and as we're going to hear how things turned out, um, I know it got even more difficult to, after that for a while, but 
Wow. Uh, just so much courage in sharing that. I, I literally don't know what to say. Um, I'm captivated by this whole episode. I'm just sitting here listening. I almost forgot I was hosting this podcast, to be perfectly honest. I felt like I was just uh, just listening. And um, yeah, I just I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And, and I'm so um so proud of you man like i for for so many things and i say this to you often but that, that's got to be the most difficult thing time between losing your daughter and then having that and and not having people believe you and you know i i had a similar situation when i first came forward about my abuse where people were questioning whether i was telling the truth or not and that was the worst thing about it and so um sorry to interrupt you i just wanted to to take a moment there and, and just say thanks I, I appreciate that, Brady. I think that you've given me a really safe spot to to be able to do this. You know, like I just really appreciate you give having this platform and and I think the relationship that we have that I can be this vulnerable uh, with you and and I'm okay with that. I'm not ashamed of it. Does it suck? Fuck yeah, it sucks. But if I don't share that, then someone else might not share their story. And so that's you know as much as it sucks, that's why I do it. And it does suck. You're right, it does. And and I just want to say too, hold on, like, you know, with, with abusers, right. They, they know, right. Like they know, and they can keen in and, and he would have known exactly what, you know, maybe not exactly what you were going through, but he could see the position that you were in. And, and I think it was similar with my situation with, you know, my, my mom and dad, my dad wasn't there when it happened, you know, it was an opportunity for this guy to take advantage and that's what they do. And and to be in a position of the prominence like this individual was, you know, they they almost want to be in those positions because then this is exactly what happens. No, not him, not her. How could they ever? Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden we become the liars in the situation when really we're the victims. And uh, it, it's a pattern, right? And I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories similar to yours over the years that you've been doing your work. And I've heard similar stories. And, and um yeah. Anyways, man, please carry on. I'm so captivated by this and I so appreciate you. I mean, I, I, I think the stat one of five, you know, that's a real stat. One of five kids before they're 18 will be sexually abused. And that's by someone they know. And and I was I was abused by a complete stranger. You know, like we didn't watch the game. I didn't know this guy. I was, you know, abused by someone. And, you know, so and 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 I don't mind talking about it. The, I think the best part of my story is getting over talking about that part. You know, like the, the cool part about my story is what comes next. You know, like I went through hell, you know, like brutal hell. And it, and it got ugly, you know, like real ugly. I'll get into some of it. I probably won't get into all of it. But yeah, can can, you know, we, like, can we get into kind of like so immediately? I just have a couple questions. Like once that happened, um, you know, you, you mentioned the self-harm and, and all those things did you seek any help right away? Um, was there any help uh, or because people weren't believing you, did you shut down and, and you turned to self-harm and then, and then your addiction, I believe got worse, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't tell anyone. I was not telling a soul. I didn't tell my friends. I put a publication ban on it because it hit the press. Uh, like I was not, I, I was so scared of what people would think you know and, and i got shredded apart all over the internet when this hit the internet like when it came in press i got shredded apart and meanwhile these detectives had called me the next day and said yeah he, you know we've arrested him he's admitted that he's done it um his wife has now bailed him out which that sucks but um you know he's admitted that he's done it 
and and uh, and we'll be in touch. And that's all oh, I really got. Oh, oh, sorry to hop in here, Paulie. How the hell is our system when something like that happens? Oh, his wife bailed him out. But somebody who gets arrested, who gets arrested for possession because they're an addict, they get thrown in jail and and maybe no chance at bail. Like for me, it's just like the laws, but are so fucked up. Excuse my, honestly, so fucked up. Anyways, I I just had to hop in there, man. The the twisted part about this, Brady, your your mind's gonna be blown here. So, so obviously he got removed as the president of minor hockey. Guess who the new president of minor hockey was? His wife became the new president of minor hockey because that's how hockey systems work. And I was like, that doesn't surprise me one. Right? Yeah. I was like, I, I remember like talking to this guy from OMHA being like, guy, uh, are you sure? Like, are you sure that that's an okay thing? He was cool with it. So it, it really sucked, man. And, and I, you know, I struggled at work. I hate, I didn't like going to work. Uh, you know, I was drinking a lot. I couldn't sleep. That was really why I was drinking is because I just could not sleep. I couldn't shut this, you know, constant singular nightmare happening over and over again. So, but three months later I was listening I was in the, I was in a garage smoking a joint and I was listening to the radio and, and, uh, and it came on that he'd been, he'd been arrested again. And I was like, Holy fuck. Like, it's real? Is this real? Because I, I was trying to mask it for a little bit. Like, maybe this isn't real. Maybe I'm in this twilight zone. And then the same thing happened about three months later. Another guy came out. And I was like, shit. Like, this getting bad. And so by that time, I'd been, you know, I'd been railing a lot of cocaine. I'd been dabbling a little bit with smoking it, with smoking freebase. And, you know, with that, I, I don't know if anyone else, but with, for me, smoking freebase crack, I really got into the crystal meth and I loved it. It was cheaper. It got me going better. You know, it just was just to hop in here quickly. So you're not alone in this (laughs) same thing for me. Exact same thing happened for me. Just, just so you're not feeling alone in that. Cause I know that's sometimes hard to talk about. Maybe some people watching, listening don't understand that 100% same thing for me. Yeah. And I think that that's how it goes for, for some people who, you know, like I wasn't, necessarily after a certain high i was after a certain escape you know like i was i was after getting out of whatever i was in because it sucked being the six inches between my ears i hated it i'd never been suicidal in my life and i was suicidal you know and i wasn't telling anyone about it so um the you know i i think a really sad part of my story which i you know i there's been some sad parts this is maybe the last sad part but you know, I had to go to court against this guy, and he'd be, he'd, he'd been up to five counts. Five different people had had came forward. I sat in a courtroom. He pled guilty to five counts. Um, you know, he got sentenced to three months house arrest because that's our that's you know. But if you fuck. like right? serious if, man, I I always think like. A kid threw a brick at a window in Vancouver after his team lost the Stanley Cup. He spent 30 days in jail for throwing a brick through a window because his hockey team lost. This guy sodomized five people and got to get in his truck and go home. You know, like, 
That's a major, major yeah. problem. That, that to oh. me, like this is, I've spent, I spent three years in jail. I'm not saying that I didn't deserve to be there. I committed crimes. Sure. I pled guilty to them. They were all stemming to addiction. Like if I'm not addicted to drugs, there's no way I'm committing those crimes. Cause I'm just not right. that person. Every single yeah. one of them stems back to addiction, but this yeah. I did three years, dude, three yeah. years. And this guy gets to go home after that. That's so wrong, man. Didn't spend I'm, a night in jail. So, it's probably the, it was the worst day of my life. It, you know, I've been through a lot of bad shit in that short amount of time. And, and January, July 7th, 2007 is the worst day of my life. So he ple- pleads guilty, gets three months house arrest. I'm at court and, and uh, you know, as a victim of crime, I get to share a victim impact statement. These other guys weren't going to share it. I thought, what the hell? I got to get up there. My parents were with me. Amber was with me. I thought, you know, like I'm. I have to let this person know how, how much he's screwed up this year. Like I, I was a 210 pound hockey player and now I'm like 140 pounds who can't, who can't function without having a beer in his hand. I, you know, like I, it was almost that I like looked like I had Parkinson's cause I would shake without having any liquor in me. And that was fast, you know, like that was, that was really quick that it got there. And so, the part that, you know, that sucks a lot is so I read my victim impact statement and my parents got up and they left and I've never seen my parents since, you know, and, and I didn't need my dad, the cop. I didn't need my mom, the teacher. I needed my parents to believe me. I needed my parents to wrap their arms around me and tell me that they loved me. I needed my parents to tell me that things were going to be okay. I definitely did not need them to get up and leave. And so you know, they left victim services helped me to the doors of the courtroom. I got to watch this guy get in his pickup truck and leave. I got on a city bus. I had nothing. I, I was like, what do I do? So I, I got on a city bus. Uh, I made it two stops. I went and I broke into my best friend's house who I knew was a, he was an avid hunter, a deer hunter. I was all hunter. And I thought today's the day I'm dying. I know he's got a shotgun and I can't live anymore. There is no way. And no one's going to find me. And so I broke into his house. I loaded up his 12 gauge and I sat on his, on his couch and he'd heard, this is where, you know, I think the universe works in in funny ways. He'd heard what happened on the radio and he couldn't get a hold of me on my cell phone because I had shut my cell phone off and he was a mechanic. Right. So he wanted to come home and get changed and come look for me. So he came home with all his mechanic stuff on. I'm sitting there on his couch with his 12 gauge in my mouth. And he's like, Whoa, Whoa we got to, we got to talk through this, man. Like we got to work through this. And I think, you know, I, Brady, I, I think one, that's one day in my life, the drinking saved my life is that he wanted me to go to hospital. And I said, I just need to be here. And if we're not going to kill myself, then I, then I just need to drink. And he said, no matter what, I will sit with you all day and drink. And I think that's a true friend, you know, like that's a true brother that he didn't care that I was drinking. He just wanted to make sure that my heart was beating. You know, and, and that and that's really all it was. And I, you know, I'm still friends with that guy now. He's again incredible guy. And you know, I I could you know, it got it got awful, man. Like I I I went right from freebase to, to crystal math and you know, I um you know, I I quit my job because I couldn't have a job because I just couldn't trust anyone. And so me and Amber had broken up. And, um, and shit was bad, man. I was like 110 pounds, 
And you're six you know, foot two. Like you're yeah, I'm a tall guy. Um, yeah. So like I'm not a I'm not a very good looking hundred and thirty pound guy, you know, like I'm just skin and bones and um yeah, like I got I I won't get into like how bad it, it got terrible, you know, like it got progressively worse as every addicts do, progressively worse into depths of hell because I wouldn't talk about my shit, you know, and years went by. You know, and I'd, I'd have glimpses of trying to get sober. And I'll tell you about the first time I got sober. Um, I uh, drove my own car to a bank and I was going to rob a bank because I was because I needed fucking money. And I was, you know, I'd been doing an identity, identity theft and credit card fraud. And I needed I desperately needed to get some money. So I robbed this bank, I put my welding helmet on. And I robbed this bank and I went to, you know, a, a strippers and spent eight grand in a day. And I was like, I'm the king of the world. Like I had two teeth, Skeletor, thinking that like, oh, I'm the king, you know, like this ego that's really just driven by fear. You know, I was just frightened, like frightened like a cat, you know. And um, and so this phone call, this phone number kept calling me the next day and I didn't answer till like six o'clock at night. And this guy, he he identifies himself as a police officer. He says, hey, it's Guelph, Guelph police. He said, are you a welder? And I was, Brady, I was so sick in my fucking head, man. Like so twisted up that I thought this guy wants welding done. You know, like I just robbed a bank. This guy's, you know, identifying himself as a police officer. And, I, and I'm thinking maybe this guy wants some welding done. For sure he wants some welding done. And he says, is your name on your welding helmet? And I was like, fuck, you know, I just robbed a bank. They knew exactly who it was written right there. You know, like, thank God that happened. I, I thank God every day that happens because uh, I went to court. I went in front of this judge. He said, you've stolen $288,000 from people. You have nothing to show for it. You're homeless. And I said, I don't think I'm an addict. You know, like, I really don't think there's a problem here. I'm hoping to die. You know, like, that's the goal here is to die. And I was very open with it. I've never shied away from that. I thought, like, I want to die and I don't care who knows. And she said, you know, I'm going to sentence you to a Corrections Canada Treatment Center. And I said, like, I've never heard of that in my life. I don't think I'm an addict, you know. And uh, she sent me, sent me to 55 days in a treatment center in Aurelia, Ontario, 7 South Street. And uh, that's a tough and, um, town. Aurelia is not a great town. And I lived there for three years. And to no offense to anyone that lives there, but that is, to me, the worst town in all of Canada. It is a tough hood. So I got sober. Uh, for 55 days there and it ate me up and you know chewed me up and spit me out and it planted the seed of recovery in me that that maybe recovery was possible but it wasn't for me you know like not for me and so I went on like that for a long time I tried I, I one time was living in uh, in Hamilton and I thought I'm gonna move to Vancouver that'll I'll get clean in Vancouver because at this point I wasn't getting high anymore like I I'd stopped getting high but I needed to use so I wouldn't be sick Right. Like a, you got I, into, I think you got into the heroin. Were you doing heroin yeah. at this time? Or, yeah. 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 So I was, I was really into like the black tar heroin in Hamilton. Really enjoyed it. Loved it. Cause I could escape for like a long length of time. That was my whole thing is if I could just sleep away and then escape, then I didn't have to live. Like that That's was right. the best. And I didn't have to be sick. Right. I hated being sick. Hated the withdrawals. That's the worst. <laughs> 
And that's and that's what keeps you doing though that drug is like, yeah, it feels great because you're escaping the pain. But guess what? If you do that for a few days in a row, now your body's screaming for it. And I there's no me and you know what that's like, Polly, but try explaining that to somebody that's never been through it. It is the worst hell on this earth. Like I'm telling you, it's horrible. Yeah. Like that's I I remember I remember being in a Hamilton detox, man, coming off of probably a 10-day bender on black tar. And uh, worst experience of my life. I just laid in a shower for 10 days, man. Like just laid in a shower and puked and shit and barfed everywhere. Cause that's all I could do. Like I, I had crackers, I'd puke them up. I'd have water, I'd puke it up for 10 days. So I thought I'd move to Vancouver. I thought, all right, Vancouver will get me sober. It'll be a great place. And I'll tell you, I lasted from Vancouver airport. You know exactly the route I would have taken from Vancouver airport on the train all the way to Hastings. Hastings was my first stop. Of course. And I thought, I thought that I found heaven, man. Like I really thought finally I'm around my people. That's right. Maybe like finally I'm around people that won't judge me. They mm-hmm. don't give a shit if I'm using, they don't, they don't give a shit if I, if I say anything and they got good drugs. And so, I made the the big switch. I I don't know if you were ever around in, in the in the days that I was there, but China White heroin was really big, massive. Yeah. And I found China White, and I fell in love, like absolutely fell in love with my whole heart. Was fully committed to this drug. Like I, I can't tell you how committed I was to it. I would have done anything, and I did anything. You know, I've done some rotten shit to mm-hmm. people so I can get one hit. Yeah, you know, like one hit is all I wanted, and and uh, it scared me when I was in Vancouver. It scared me. It started to the awareness of my fear started to get a little a little high, and I thought like I got to get out of this, or I'm going to kill someone, or someone's going to kill me, and maybe I want someone to kill me, but I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, like I've been to seven treatment centers. I've been to sixty five detox centers. Uh, I was living homeless in 2010 in my in my car in in London. I went to a treatment center and I got sober for 18 months, and it was a really cool uh, time in my life. I was really able to talk about uh, the sexual abuse that I went through. Um, like I got to talk to a counselor. You know, I finally got to talk to a counselor that I was able to get that stuff out. I wasn't telling too many people about it, but. Um, I told a few people about it and through that Theo Fleury got a hold of me yeah. and I'd known Theo because I, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. Like I watched this guy tear apart the NHL, you know, like, and, and I'd known that he'd been sexually abused, you know, like, I don't know how I knew that, but I knew that he'd been sexually abused. And I thought, all right, like, I don't care about the hockey player now. Like, I just want to know about how this guy got through this. And he didn't, I hope he didn't tell anyone because I want to get through this and not tell anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. So he reached out to me and, and we developed a friendship, you know? He, he said, you know, he was coming to Ontario. He said, Paulie, do you golf? And I said, yeah, I love golf. And he said, well, let's go golfing. And we just became dudes, you know? Like, we weren't, I didn't see Theo as, as the guy sliding across the ice on his knees, you know? Like, I just saw Theo as just a regular guy who deals with the same shit that I deal with. And he was a little bit sober, you know, and he's, he, he was very open. He didn't know how he was doing it, but he was doing it. And, and he said, I don't know how you can do it, but you can do it. Yeah. Trust the process. And I'd be like, shut the fuck up about the process. 
<laughs> you'd always be like, trust the process. And now I know what he means, you know, but, yeah. but I got hooked in with guys like that. And so Theo offered me a job in Calgary. got me a job offer in Calgary uh, with the Calgary Royals. Um, and I was like, fuck yeah, this is pretty badass. And so I went to Calgary and I worked really closely with the Calgary Royals and, and uh, the Brooks Bandits. And, uh, and we got a national championship that year and I was sober. Hold on. We got to throw in the horn. There hasn't been much time for a horn in this episode, but let's do it one more time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was fired up, man. I like, I was just, I was, I thought it's really come full circle, you know, like I'm able to get back on the ice. These guys don't know what I've been through but this. I mean, this coach did. Cause it, cause my interview was in a Walmart parking lot. I said like, I'm not meeting you anywhere other than there being 500 people around. Like that's yeah. how I'm doing that. Yeah. And, and Derek Bell still the coach of the Calgary Royals now probably got about 10 championships now said, I do not give a shit where I meet you. I want your skill and your ability. He said like, I know that you're one of the youngest hockey coaches in Canada and I want you on my bench. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, and me and Derek Bell are best friends to this day. Like, yeah. and I love that guy for being, you know, he, he, we obviously talked about the sexual abuse that I went through, but that was never the focus. It was always, we're here to win. We're here to have fun. Uh, I'm really here to, to make sure that these young gentlemen are really good young gentlemen. And we had a wicked fucking team, <laughs> but you know, just as well as I do, like there's a case of beer, you know, in every dressing room. And I thought I'm 18 months sober. Like I'm the best coach in Canada. I can have a few beers and I gave myself permission, you know, and, and I didn't listen to that recovery stuff that was in my head. And, and I drank, you know, I drank those six beers and, and, uh, I drank every single day for 15 months. And, uh, I came back to London, unbelievably suicidal. I I was on welfare. My welfare worker said, go to addiction services or, um, or we'll take away this funding. I was on like this addiction funding where I didn't have to look for a job. I just had to focus on my addiction. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, cool, this is awesome. I don't got to look for a job. And she said, well, well there's once, one stipulation. Once again, you gotta go once again very, I, I've been there. Same situation. Right. Welfare. Oh yeah. I was on the same program. Don't worry about work. Just focus on getting better and, and get your addiction, you know, put pulling, you know, this string and that string and, and just doing whatever I had to do and say whatever I had to say, just so I didn't have to actually do any of it, you know? Right. So I, so I go to this addiction services meeting after like three times of bailing and my, and my, my Ontario works worker threatening to cut off my OW until I go to this meeting. So I go and I say, listen, I'm suicidal. Here's my plan. I don't give a shit what happens. I'm here to get a, a few bucks until I die. And I was very open with it. And this counselor, I'll never forget her. She just said, you know what? Like, let's, let's try to figure out how we can get you back here next week. And she said, I'd really like to work with you. I think that you have something that I really want to help with. And I, and she, and, you know, just like you, she said, you know what? I believe you. And she, and I didn't tell her anything about sexual abuse, nothing. And she just came out and said, you know what? I believe you. And, and I started working with this, this therapist, you know, and, and I was still drinking and uh, she said, I don't care if you're drinking. I just like, I really just want, to make sure that your heart's still beating and how do we get through this? And so it, you know, it sucks going through therapy while you're drinking alcoholically or at the end of your alcoholism is 
it's the worst. It's the worst. It's not conducive to good therapy. And so uh, New Year's Eve that year, uh, I went and I saw a band. Um, um, oh, my God. What are they called? Honeymoon Suite. Like this old 80s band is playing in London. And I'm like, oh, boy, we're going to have a party tonight, boys. And so I was around like my boys and and we partied, man. Like we hit it hard that night. It was one of the best times of my life. And I woke up the next day and I thought like nothing different as I woke up, you know, I woke up and the window was broken and our, it was, you know, the third story and our window was broken. And I thought like, I don't remember a window breaking last night. Like I, I remember having a fucking time. Like we had a lot of people at our house. We were, you know, like everyone put their guns on the table. Like it was just a wicked party, but the window's broken and my buddy Matt's not around. I'm like, fuck, where's Maddie? And my buddy Millie goes, yeah, Maddie's in the hospital. You broke his pelvis and his femur's broken. You threw him out the window. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, I didn't do that. I'm the party guy. I don't have a bad, I don't have a temper. There's no way. And it like starts clicking into me, right? That like, I really did this. And I'm like, this is outrageous. Like, there is no way that I've gotten myself to this point. Like how on earth? And it was one of those moments where I was like, some, some people call it the gift of desperation. You know, like I was so dumbfounded in my head that I needed to make a really strong decision in that moment. And I made a decision that will, will alter the rest of my life forever. And I gave a decision. I made a decision that day to never drink again and never use drugs again. And and I'm super pumped and proud to tell you that I haven't had to take a drink or a drug since then. And so I just celebrated nine, nine years sobriety, January 1st, uh, this year, I just celebrated nine years. Which... <laughs> yeah. Nine it's years, dude. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Nine, and, yeah. and like, and, and I want to listen, like usually like my shows an hour, hour and a half, if you don't have anywhere to go, I certainly don't. I want to keep this conversation going um, because wow, we unpacked a lot there and that's just to, to get you to that point. Um, just to be able to, to come back from, from that at all, Paulie is, is incredible. Like, you know, as well as I know that our stories though unique to our own experience like it, it's happening all over the world let's yeah. just use canada for example there's men all over canada right now who are severely addicted to drugs and alcohol because they have underlying trauma and the vast majority of those people um, and women as well let's just not say men but um when when we get that low to to what you talked about like there's not a whole lot unfortunately there's not that many people that that come back from that right now, at yeah. least statistically. And so the fact that you're here um, is a miracle, uh, you know, nine years, miracle. One day, right? That first day was a miracle. Um, but really what you've done over the last nine years is, is to me, you know, who, who you really truly are. Um, you've taken it upon yourself to, to, and I said this in my Instagram stories where you turned your pain into purpose and, and that's kind of, you know, where I want to lead with this conversation. And nine years, amazing. I look up to you tremendously. I can't even tell you. Um, our stories are so similar, dude, like in different ways, but uh, the path, it, very similar. And um, 
yeah, I just, uh, I'm just so proud of you, dude. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that nine years uh, in recovery has looked like and, and kind of the things that you've done that have worked for you and, and maybe some of the tribulations you've had as well. For sure. I, I think like, it, you know, just kind of backpacking off that, the stats that I know now are 97% of people that struggle with addiction don't make it. And 3% of people achieve long-term sobriety, long-term recovery, which uh, from my understanding is anything more than three years. That's long-term sobriety. And so 3% make that. I am fucking lucky to be part of that 3% because I, my heritage, my culture, the way I was brought up, the trauma in my life, that doesn't allow me to be part of the 3%. Yeah. You know, like those things really make me a big part of the 97%. And so you're right. I, I think the reason that I was able to get that is because the window of opportunity, I always talk about the window of opportunity was very small for me. And I jumped through it because if I didn't, I was, I was dead. I was dead meat standing. And so I, I used that window of opportunity analogy because it was the only thing that led me to where I, to where I am now. And, and I think I share this a lot that getting sober, putting down a drink or a drug is not easy. It's not because life happens, you know, like that first week when you put a drink down, life happens. And for me, I can't safely take a drink. And so I have to figure out how to live. You know, I have to figure out how to do groceries. I have to figure out how to do my laundry. I've never done that before. I just dirty clothes and I eat noodles and, you know, like I had to figure out how to, how to live. And, and so it's not, it wasn't easy. And I, and I didn't have my family, you know, like I, I had, uh, I had, I had some giants, some really big giants in my life that had been through recovery. Um, you know, like Theo was a big giant in my life and, and Sheldon was a big, uh, was a big giant in my life. And, and, and those guys will check in with me, you know, and that's what I needed. And so, um, Six months into, I'm grateful that I get to share this. This is the first time I've ever got to share this. Um, six months into my recovery, I faced this person uh, who sexually abused me in a civil case. I sued him and I got to sue Hockey Canada. And I thought, how will I ever do this? Here's this, you know, nobody going to sue Hockey Canada for the things that, that have happened. And and Hockey Canada paid me a lot of money. Hockey Canada paid me almost a million dollars. And they made me sign a non-disclosure agreement. You know, I was six months sober. I was like so foggy headed. I would have signed a permission form to Wonderland if that's what they wanted me to sign. You know, like I would, they just said, sign this. I said, yeah, sign it, sign it. I had no idea the implications that would ever come from that, you know. And now we know you know, where that is. And so I had to go through this process of civil, civilly suing this guy. And, and he represented himself, the guy who molested me or, you know, raped me was, was, uh, was going to represent himself in a civil action. And I thought, bring it on, pal. I scored 40 goals in my driveway, you know, like bring it on. So I sat up there on the stand. I'll never forget it. I had an army of people who believed me with me, you know, like I had my counselor, I had a bunch of guys from the treatment center with me, you know, like I had a bunch of guys from meetings. I had a bunch of guys from hockey with me. We overtook the whole courthouse. This guy's wife was the only person there for him and everyone else was in that courtroom for me. And, and I got up there and he asked me questions and I gave him his shit back. Like, here's your embarrassment. Here's your shame. Here's your guilt. I, I, it's too heavy for me to carry, man. It's, it's on to you now. 
And I was able to heal really a lot through that. There's a, it was a three week trial. And so through that, I was able to give him his stuff back and I was able to get a little bit of freedom and get a little bit of power back. And, and it was liberating, man. Like it was hard. Those days getting out of trial were hard days, but I thought like at the end of this, I just want one person to be okay. You know, like I just want one more person to be okay. So we got through that and I was awarded a bunch of money. And uh, two weeks later, this guy was charged with 53 counts of sexual abuse. And, and he's now passed away. And so he doesn't have to face any of those charges. And that, that part I struggle with. I wrestle with that because I feel for these 53 other people, you know. I really, really feel for them, and and uh, there's nothing I can do for them except be an example. And that I think that's all I've done is, you know. So I went through this sober. I got a little bit of money. I bought myself a car. I got an I got an apartment, which you know was a legal apartment in a good neighborhood, and I got furniture. And you know, I took my hockey jerseys off the wall and I put art up, and I got a toaster instead of a coffee maker to make crack. You know, like. I've always had a coffee maker. I've never drank a cup of coffee in my life. You know, like that was a, it, it, it was just, you know, I had to be, I had to realize in that kind of first year, I really have to focus on becoming an, an, a functioning adult who doesn't drink, you know, and, and what comes with that. I gotta, I have to stay in my community. You know, I really have to stay with my tribe and I have to tell my tribe what I'm going through. Uh, no matter what, good days and bad days, I really have to. And so that worked for me. And and uh, and someone asked me to speak. I was like, fuck, uh, I wasn't very sober at all. Someone asked me to speak at a youth detention center. And I thought, like, I've never shared my story. i got nothing to share. Like, really, what do you want to know? I was a hockey player. I got raped and I got into drugs. Like, uh, what what story is that? And I went out to this place and I shared my story, probably just like this, like hour and a half. These kids' jaws were on the ground, and, and my jaw was on the ground. It was bawling my eyes out. And I thought, like, this is my purpose. Like, I can't believe. Like, all in that moment, I was like, this is my purpose. Like, these kids are really having an impact over a life that's really awful, you know? And so I started speaking at, at uh, you know, at some meetings. Uh, people asked me to speak at their one-year sobriety birthday or their five-year sobriety birthday. And I'd say, you betcha. Like, I'll, I'll do that for sure. And then, you know, throughout the years, I got a little bit of sobriety into me and I was plowing snow and I was cutting grass in the summertime. And, um, you know, I was doing a little bit of coaching. I uh, didn't really have like a real job, just kind of was speaking. Right. I was I really struggled with having kind of a real job. And and uh, I don't know what hit me one day. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to be this old man that goes back to school. I'm going to go to college. I'm, I'm going to do it this time, you know. And I got accepted to college at, you know, at 31 years old. And I was like, this is fucked. Like, I'm 31. I'm going to school with these 17-year-old kids who, like, have laptops. I walked in, Brady, with notepads, man. Like, notepads and a pen. I'm writing notes. And they're like, uh, you better get a laptop, bro. Like, you got to get with the time. So that was a struggle, right? And getting through. So I took child and youth care and I got through it. And, and, um, in my last year in the summertime, I went to a wedding, my sponsor, uh, I went to a wedding sponsor was getting married and, uh, a really smoking hot, uh, bridesmaid. 
and and probably by this point you know that i just don't have very good luck with women you know and so i thought this bridesmaid is it and uh and three months later she was pregnant and uh and i thought holy shit like I've, you know, all I've done for the last year and a half is just gone around Canada or gone around Ontario and Canada and spoke and I've made a little bit of money doing it. And now I'm going to be a dad like, holy shit, I don't even know this girl. And uh, so I so I packed up my stuff and I moved to Lake Huron and I thought I'm going to be a dad. And uh, and my daughter was born. Uh, my daughter, Callie Grace, is very healthy. Uh, she was born June 18th, 2018. She'll be five this year. She's a healthy, healthy, you know, snappy little girl that I just love with all my heart. And in uh, two weeks after Callie was born, I was in family court uh, with her mom. And another was- uh, another thing I'm going through right now, actually. So our stories, man, are, are so much alike. And I got to meet I got to meet your precious daughter there in the summer. She is really something else. She is uh, she's a sweetheart. Keep going. She she just warms my heart and so you know I got into this court system and family court you know like I'd been in criminal court and civil court and now I was in family court I fucking hate lawyers I hate court I don't trust it and now I have this woman who doesn't really know me calling me out of my past you know like calling me out of my on my drug addiction calling me out on the on the many times that I attempted to die by suicide on on everything out of my past. And so I was withheld from Cali uh, for two and a half years. Uh, I didn't get to see her and I was sober. I was in recovery. I was speaking, you know, like at this point I'd worked for the OPP for the Ontario provincial police, helping with their mental health strategy. And yet I couldn't see my child because I had a history of drug abuse because I had a suicide attempt a decade ago. I wasn't able to see my child. And so you know, it was hard to stay sober through that. It was incredibly hard to stay sober through that and not just go back to the old ways, you know, like I know a way that that'll be okay with this. And, uh, and, and I just didn't, I couldn't, I had to really stay connected and I, and I dug deep and, and, you know, I, I went through some awful shit and I got a lawyer and I, and I figured out how to pay a lawyer and I paid a lawyer a lot of money and I, and I, and I was able to just stick with it. And, and I think the only thing that got me through that was patience and consistent action. Uh, you know, I never gave up on the action of what I was, the goal of what I was doing. My goal is to be a dad. My goal, my second goal is to be a dad that's nothing like my dad. You know, like my third goal is to just grow and learn with this little girl because she has a sister in heaven, you know, that, that looks over all of us. And, and and I really see a lot of similarities in Emily and Callie and, and I and I don't talk about that a lot, but I do and I love it. I love that I get to have that and that I stuck around long enough to have it. So I was done school. I was I was doing a lot of speaking. Uh, you know, I worked for the OPP and their mental health strategy. Uh, I've worked with the kids help phone a lot. Uh, I do a lot of work with the kids help phone. Uh, we raised them a lot of money. Um and I got done school and I got offered a job at CMHA and I was, and I thought, okay, cool. I'll, I, I'll do it. You know, I, it was relief. It wasn't a ton of hours. And so I, I got into the social work sector and I worked crisis. And my first week I had two people suicide my first week working in crisis. And I thought, 
I don't know if I can do this. Like, I really don't know if I can do this. This is my first week. And I'm holding a guy's neck with blood pouring all out, out of it. Or I'm taking a girl down, you know, that's hung herself. I don't know if I can do this. And, and I thought back to that list, you know, that 40 goals. You know, like, if I tell myself I can't do it, then who's going to do it? So I have to do it. You know, like, I have to keep going in this. And so it's this thing, you know, if it's hard, I got to do it. I, I, it's just something in my life. It's hard. I'm going to go do it. So I decided to, to keep working a crisis and, and I got a job at, at detox and, and working in the recovery community center here a little bit, 20 hours a week. And, and I was really enjoying it. I got into street outreach and I, and I hated street outreach, street outreach. All I was doing was CPR on people, Narcanning people all day long. And I feel like I wasn't having really that much of a sustainable change, you know, like, I could identify with these people. They weren't getting high. They didn't, they were just, were trying not to be sick. That's all they were trying to do. They weren't at all getting high. They just desperately didn't want to be sick. And the only way that they couldn't be sick was to use. And, and by using, they were, they were overdosing. So I got to the root of all that. And, and uh, you know, it really touched me personally. It really got to me kind of on a, on a personal level. And I thought I got to have more change than this. And so I, you know, took a shot in the dark and I applied for this peer support community wellness position, you know, with my lived experience and I got it and I started working with youth uh, and I really enjoyed it. It was for a year. Um, my contract came up. I got a full-time position, a full-time permanent position offered to me uh, in community wellness. And so with that, uh, with that portfolio, I become the London Knights mental health coach. And I was like, <laughs> And I, 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 I'm telling you, Brady, I nearly shit my shorts, man. Like I thought, how is this possible? Like, how is the universe just doing this? You know, like, how am I here? I love the London Knights. Like I'm in, they're a great hockey team. There's no problems. It's been awesome stuff. And I'm doing community wellness. So I'm like educating the community about, Narcan. I'm educating the community about like wellness tools and, and therapy and you know like suicide prevention. I love it. And uh, you know, a day I'll never forget. And I remember I talked to you this day, a day that I will never forget that'll go down in my heart forever it was December 17th. I called you Brady and I said, you know what, we lost the player. And uh and it rocked my world that we'd lost a player on my hockey team to suicide. And, and that rocked me. I was supposed to be the guy that helped people. I was supposed to be the guy and I was the guy that was helping people and I was good at it. And I know I was good at it. And people, you know, I, I felt good doing it. Like, how did I ever let this slip through the cracks? And I struggled there for a few days. And, and I thought like, I scored 40 goals on a fucking net. I am not giving up on this hockey team. And so I, you know, we got to the rink and we've worked really hard with these young men and they've really done an incredible job bounding together, like binding that, you know, that trauma together. We're on a, we're on a heater right now, you know, like we're, we're top of the West. You got to think like a team that's the top of the West, the London Knights who have lost a player. They've gone on two 10 game winning streaks this year and they've lost a player to suicide in the middle of that. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in hockey. It doesn't happen in sports, you know, and, and I, and I, not that I, I won't take any credit for it, but I feel like I had a really, really small part in that, 
You know, like I would just show up to the rink. I wasn't clinical. I wasn't there to, to be their therapist. I was there to be their, their buddy. I was there to be someone that they could talk to. That was a hockey guy. That was a suicide guy that could talk about suicide openly that, you know, that, now we go for breakfast, you know, and we just shoot the shit just like this, you know, like we just shoot the shit and we talk about life. And we talk about Abby, you know, and we, and we, and I, and what I, my message that I try to get across, especially these guys is let's not think about the one awful time in Abby's life. You know, he, he's a first round draft pick. He was an incredible hockey player. He was an incredible brother. He's an incredible son, you know, like he was an awesome friend. Those are the things that we should really remember and those memories of them rather than the one really bad moment. So I feel like I'm really lucky, Brady, that I get to do this, you know? And, and so through this, I, you know, something that happened last week was, um, you know, it's, it's been going on for a few months. I had applied for it. It was a really rigorous kind of application process. Um, but there's a program that's, that's worldwide. Uh, it's by living works. It's called assist and it's called applied suicide intervention skills training. And I'd taken this training so that I can talk to people about suicide and, and maybe intervene with maybe an immediate risk. And so I, through this process, I um, took a shot in the dark. You know, I thought about the 40 goals and I thought, like, I'm going to do this. I want to become a trainer in suicide intervention. And so I, I applied for it and, uh, and 83 other people applied for it. And, uh, and for some silly reason, they chose me. It's not a silly reason at all, buddy. They picked it right. And dude, I'm, I'm holding back tears here, man. Everything you've gone through and listen, you went through a lot of shit that, you know, wasn't by choice, right? You also made some choices that, that were your own. And, and as did I, maybe it didn't feel like we were driving. I always tell people I was on that bus, but I wasn't driving the bus. Like when I was in addiction and, and in that trauma and everything else, but let me tell you, dude, that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and the world as you know and i i've had these moments too where it's almost like divine you you just can't explain it and yeah. and, and sometimes we don't have to ask questions but on top of everything else probably like you've also been for for anybody watching listening who's struggling like we have to be willing participants in our own recovery in our own journey like things don't just happen it's because you've put in the hard work and commitment and, and you're on your right path. And that's why these are happening. And I just want to kind of backtrack too, because, you know, we did speak the, the day that, you know, the Abby passed away and, and I know that was really difficult on you. And there's a lot of questions that you're asking yourself and, and there's just, there's only so much uh, we can, we can all do. Right. And, yeah. and, yeah. And you are the right guy. You you are 100% the right guy. And and somebody that I feel very grateful to have in my life, selfishly, I feel I feel so grateful that I have you as a friend and as a confidant, as a mentor, um, you know, but you've done the work, Polly. That's why you're getting these opportunities. And, and, and you're going to change the world, dude. Like you already have, like you've changed my world. You've changed. I, I don't, you know, I'm sure if we, we dug in here, I could tell you probably you could tell me how many people you've helped. I know you wouldn't, but if we could get a list together and people were willing to come forward, you'd probably hear the testimonials of, of people. And I just want to get to some of the comments. Cause I'm, I was so captivated. Usually I'm like good at the getting to the comments, but let's, while we, while we're here on this topic, let's get, uh, let's get some of this going here. Um, we will skip down to this one. We got a 
Josh Wright tuning in says, Paulie is such an amazing soul. It's been a pleasure getting to know this man through my recovery. There you go. Boom. There's one. There's one more. Writer. Rocket. He's, <laughs> uh, he's a writer. man rocket. Tammy Harris, is, uh, who we both know, Nick Smith's aunt, uh, says, two yeah. incredible souls who I am so privileged to know and feel so lucky to bring these two together at our golf tournament. Nick is always with us. And yes, that is how we met was, uh, was at that tournament. And though it was uh, a difficult day for, for the family and for everybody, um, you know, again, the Smith family is, is so courageous in, in sharing Nick's story in, in hopes of helping others. And I'm just so appreciative to them. And, and Tammy, love you lots. Um, we're going to uh, we got Doug Eaton watching, as we both know Doug too. Uh, Elaine's Elaine's other half there. Good to see the two of you on the net. You need to get the story out. Amen to that. Uh, we have an Andy B watching that says respect for courage. Um, Kyle Driscoll watching says takes balls to tell everything in depth. Amen to that. Um, we have a Jessica watching says su- such courage to share. Uh, Michelle Miner uh, watching alongside, I'm sure her husband, Tom, and maybe some of the other family, uh, the parents of the late Daniel Miner, who I spoke about earlier, says, you are one strong, courageous individual. So sad that any one person would have to endure what happened to you. That uh, means so much to me. That, that, that stuff to me, I, you know, like I don't do this for messages or for, or for accolades. I really, honest to God, do it so that, Someone maybe someday in two years and five years, they might not have to feel so fucking alone, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause that was, the, that was the problem is they felt so alone. Yeah. That's and all, that's the only way you do this. Yeah. That's right, buddy. That's right. It's, uh, that's what it's all about. Michelle Alt watching from South Dundas says, thank you for sharing major respect. Uh, Kendall James, similar message immense respect for your courage to share tammy back in the comments says one word incredible uh this is a good one too i have a poster of flurry i'll view it differently now that was coming in right because he he he, he sees the hockey player on the wall but there's so much more to it you know he's just a guy that that's got a big heart and really gave you a hand up so that's really cool um Tracy uh, says, you guys are too important. Stay sober. Keep telling your story. You are helping kids and you don't even know it. Um, Thanks for watching, Tracy. Uh, Jillian with a heart coming through. Um, Tammy, again, I want to get to this one. You are incredible human. Much love. I echo that. Uh, Michelle back in the comments says, congrats, Polly. What a huge accomplishment on your part. Stay strong. Keep moving forward. Uh, we have Tiffany watching says so happy you're here to tell this story with all the odds stacked against you, Polly. And let me tell you, it takes a fighter, dude, to fight through uh, what you fought through, dude. And as we know, most people never make it out of it. And not only have you made it out, but you've made it out and you're doing something to make this world a better place. Uh, you know, and that that to me is everything. Polly speaks about your character. Uh, Elaine Sturk watching says proud of you, Polly. Um, also says. Uh, so beautiful little girl, such a beautiful little girl talking about your daughter there, I'm sure. And, and Tammy too, just while you're says that love that little peanut. So blessed to have been a part of her school journey. Miss that girl. Yeah. yeah. She was her teacher. She was my Tammy was, was my little girl's teacher for a little bit this year. Very cool. Um, we'll get to, uh, Jody says, thanks for sharing, Polly. I'm so grateful you're here. You make such a difference. I'm grateful for you each day. Thanks for your influence. Thanks for your heart. And thanks for sticking around. Um, 
One more comment here. We'll, 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 we'll get to all of them here. Amazing talk, boys. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for tuning in. Polly, if you want to hop in at any time, too, I'm just kind of going through them because there's a, there's a bunch and I want to kind of. Yeah, get I appreciate it. I, I, here. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Sure. Jessica says, I think we're all captivated. Yeah, we all are. Uh, Jillian, proud of you, my dear friend. We also have a Dennis watching, says, Polly is a friend of mine and recently had him talk to my son's Carter's Junior Mustangs team. I love that. I love that. Um, Amy says, we are so proud of you, Polly. Uh, Tracy says, congrats. You guys are both the 3%. Um, very grateful. And and again, I, as you said earlier, like I, I wake up every day and I'm, I'm waiting for like me to wake up and, and it, everything in this last three years be like a, a dream. And then I'm back in that nightmare. That is how low. And I know you felt the same. It just feels sometimes unbelievable to be on the other side of this. And I'm left with so many questions of how, and people always ask me like how, and I love what you said about Theo there. It's like, I don't know how I'm doing it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but trust the process. Like that's really good advice because there isn't one way or you can't, it's just, Trust the process. Our job today is to not pick up drugs or alcohol. Um, right. Just a couple more here. Dennis says, Polly's. A, oh, we just saw that one again. Um, he yeah. also taught Carter how to skate. Help, one hell of a did, yeah. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, Polly, uh, I think we're going to have to do part two. And while we're on this For topic, sure. you know, I was saying to Jenna on the way to Susan's, uh, because I don't live here anymore, but my podcast and this is Puck Support Headquarters. Uh, and we were driving here and, and I just was like talking about you and, and, you know, I just feel like so compelled to just to keep moving forward on this journey and have you uh, as big a part as you want to be on my side. And, and aside from like all the, the social media and the events and everything else, like just from a pure friendship standpoint where I feel like every time I've ever talked to you and I don't talk to you enough, we've talked quite a bit, but for me, it's like not enough. And that's probably my fault because I never pick up the phone and, but every time I talk, I'm left, you know, telling Jenna, I'm just like, wow, like this guy, man, like it, it's, I feel so connected to you. And I, I just look up to you so much. And you've really paved the way for for guys like myself to be able to come in and, and, and do some of the things that that you know, you do. And, and, uh, I'm just, I, I just want to do more together is what I'm saying. I was saying to, to Jenna, I said, you know, if there's one guy, it's Polly, And on the, on the, the women's side, that's Kendra Fisher for me. Those are my yeah. rider guys. When we're, when I'm, when I'm thinking, you know, in my head about what the future looks like for the things that I want to be involved in for the people that I want to be involved with, dude, like you're right at the top of that list. And we already have a, a please part two, part two, <laughs> music um we'll have to do it and i would love to figure out a way where maybe um you know i've been out there sharing my story like you have to like just like you did and thank you again for doing that here on on the podcast i know that's not easy but i was talking to kendra about kind of like pivoting like of course i'm going to continue to share my story and, and everything else but i love conversations like this and i would really like to make an event where it's more like a panel discussion where you can yeah. get different, you know, points of views and and people have been through certain things because I've been to a couple of them now and just around addiction. One in particular I went to, they had a panel of six or seven people, Polly, they were talking about the overdose crisis. There wasn't a single person on the panel with lived experience who had even used opiates or anything it was like police officers and doctors and paramedics and like no disrespect to them my dad's a retired firefighter 
kept a lot of people alive through Narcan and that's the other side, that's great. We need to hear from them, but let's hear sure. about the people who have actually lived it. Like Christ, right. come on. Like that's, yeah. so that's kind of what I see. And I, I just think there's so much more that we can do together. I am so fucking proud of you, dude. Like you, we, I know we just met this past summer, but I fucking have so much love for you. I'm, I look up to you. I admire you. I, I don't know everything that you've been through, but our stories are so similar. So that pain when you're sharing your story, like I know that pain, that pain is familiar. Uh, those dark moments you talked about, it's easy. It's easier to talk about them now because we're on the other side, but still I, I know dude, the pain and the, and, and the 3%, man, like the 3%, like that's a, that's huge. And there's a reason why you're here. And this is exactly why. And I, you know, I, I just want to reiterate, I look up to you. You've pushed me to, you know, yes, lived experience is great, but you have the lived experience and you've gone back to school i might have to go back at an older age i'm 35 not 31 like you were um, <laughs> i took notes i i got laptop written down here bring laptop lap number one bring don't laptop. bring your notebooks <laughs> don't so bring your notebooks so funny Brady, honest to god man the sky's the limit and and i think we're just getting started i honest to god think that we're just getting started and i you know, like, especially, you know, you know my story now. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust a lot of people. I just don't. I keep my circle very small and my walls very high. It keeps me protected. And it, so far, it's done pretty good. But I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you do or how you've done it. But you've got through the walls. And, and I hold you in really high regard in my life. And I want you to know that, that as much as, you know, you look up to me, man, I look up to you because because I learn a lot from you. Like I learn a ton from you about that. We can have guys talk about being sexually abused. And that's something that still society doesn't want to talk about or uh, men's mental health or, or men's, you know, struggling with suicidal ideation. Men don't talk about that. We don't see that everywhere. And it, and it pumps me up and it fires me up that you're doing that. And, and we see guys like Deej and Tanner and and those guys and they're just, and I love it. That just it makes me feel like, all right, there's a reason why I, I had to call the police, you know. Like there's a reason why I had to go through all that shit, but so that I could get on the other side and I could share this stuff. And when I stood, man, there was no one. Theo and Sheldon were the only other guys talking about it. Yeah, like ever, you know. And so I love that. Uh, and, and you may never know this, man, but I really, really love that you talk about it because it makes it real. It puts a face to, um, you know, not the stat, but it puts a face to to what happened, you know, and, and that it's not just a one off thing that it does happen. It happens to hockey players. It happens to hockey players to make the NHL, yeah. you know, and 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 if we don't arrest that or we don't stop that thought. Then, then our life is going to be chaos. And, and um, you know, for me, at least, I think the reason I keep doing this, A, I'm stubborn. B, I love guys like you, Brady. I seriously, I, I can't get it through to you enough. I love guys like you. Like, you you really captivated my heart. And and I'm, and I'm I remember you forever. But but I learned something this week at this assist training. So I, so I just became a suicide intervention trainer, and I'm pumped about it. I can, I can train assist anywhere in Canada. So Brady, I think that we should get you assist trained, bro. Like I seriously to God, 
we are going to get you a cis train, brother. I was already thinking it. I didn't want to be the one to bring it up, but dude, I, I absolutely, um, would, that would be, uh, an honor and a privilege. And that's something that I feel, uh, you know, I'm called to do. Um, I've been called to do similar things, but as you talked about long-term recovery, I just celebrated that three year mark. And for me, you know, again, I couldn't go three minutes, let alone three seconds, three years was like never going to happen for me. And again, it hasn't been perfect. I mean, I haven't used hard drugs and I'm not, you know, I have a lot of work to do still on my trauma. My mental health is not in a great place, especially these last three months. But I do feel that I'm at that point in time in my life where like, I know, like, I'm going to struggle. I'm just not going to struggle the same way that I used to. And I do trust myself in the sense where I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pick up today, regardless of what happens. I'm not going to pick up today. I'm not going to burn my life down today because there's way too much riding on it. You know, I'm, I'm, I have kids of my own. I have another one on the way that we just announced Jenna's pregnant. Um, I have, I have way too much to live for. Yeah. And, and way too much to, uh, you know, to give. And, and I feel that, and I feel that like, just like you, like important, you're important, Brady, you are important. You are an important person to not only to other people, but you're important to you, man. Like, that's, that's what I could say about my life now for as, you know, chronically suicidal and, and shitty as I was, I can sit here honestly with a whole heart telling you that I love my life today. It's not perfect. Things aren't awesome every day, but I seriously love my life today. Like, and that's foreign. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Right. And that's a, that's a good feeling, dude. That's such a good feeling. I am so grateful that I was able to meet you um, this past summer. And I, it's unfortunate that we, we don't, I mean, we don't live that far away. It sounds like an excuse. It's not like you're across the country, but I need to do an, make a better effort to get down there and see you and definitely would love to have you up, uh, this way in the summertime or anytime you want to come up, but it's a, it's a good excuse to come visit a pretty beautiful spot here in Canada and Muskoka. And your my door is always open, uh, for you and, and whoever you want to bring, whether it's your girlfriend, your kid, uh, the family, whoever, um, our, my door is always open and I look forward to, to carrying on this conversation. Definitely have part two. I know a bunch of people are, are chiming in about part two still. Uh, we'll have to figure out a time and a date to do that. And I would love to actually be able to do it in person if we could make that happen to sit down, uh, sit down and, and, and chat. So, um, uh, before I, before I let you go, I just want to say again, thank you. You know, thank you for everything that you've done, um, that you continue to do. Uh, thank you for, for your courage and sharing your story here tonight, not just with me, but with everybody listening and watching and, and thank you for, you know, the work that you're putting in, dude, like you're, you're, you've done it. You've, you've helped a tremendous amount of youth. You've been on the front lines. You've, you've already saved lives. And like you said, you're just scratching the surface. Uh, you're a game changer, Polly. And, and I'm just so grateful to have you in my life, buddy. I love you, man. I do. I really do. Brady. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. Love you too, buddy. This was, uh, I'm going to say it right now. This is the best podcast I've ever done. Like without question, without even hesitation. I've had a lot of, um, great conversations. That's no disrespect to anybody who's been on the podcast. Um, but by far, this is to me the best podcast that I've ever done. And I told you a couple months ago, I said, I'm taking a break from the podcast, but when I start it back up, you are the guy, my first guest. (laughs) 
And man, I listened to my intuition. I'm so glad that's the case. And like I said, I'm looking forward to developing a, a, a bond, a, a friendship for life and uh, seeing how we can impact the world together, buddy. So we'll, uh, I'll shoot you a message here after I sign off, but thank you for your time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm always here for you. Any, anything you need, brother. Love you. Thank you so much, Braid. Appreciate it. All right, Polly. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. Wow. That's a lot to take in, I think, for everybody. Certainly is for me. Going to have to go back and watch this one again. Um, I'm not getting. I forgot that I was even hosting a show there for a while. I was like listening so intently. Thank you, Polly. Um, incredible, incredible human. As somebody who's gone, walked a similar road, I know how hard it is to do that, to do all of it. You know, and he's taking it a step further. He's really... And to do it when it, when nobody was doing it, like to have those doors shut and, and, and to keep fighting because he knew that there was something greater out there and I could talk about it all day. Um, we'll save it for, for part two. Um, I'm going to go grab the puck support phone so that we can do this giveaway here. Uh, we'll kick it over. Who do we got for... I'm going to have to run really fast and hopefully the phone is there. But this episode proudly brought to you by True Temper Hockey. Boom. Made it back just in time. I used to put my cell phone... And, and I used to, like, if I use my cell phone here, I can, I can actually get the call through the soundboard, which is kind of cool. But I'll be perfectly honest, I don't really want to give away my cell phone number anymore. Um, so we're going to do it this way. So I asked a question at the beginning of the episode. Um, or I dropped a little line. So if you stuck around, you're going to have a chance to win a limited edition puck support hoodie. Have a great day if you so choose. Get your phones ready. I'm going to give you the phone number to call right now. If you were really smart, you would have jumped ahead to the puck support website and had it ready to plug in. 705-710-8525. Four or five. Let's see if anybody knows what that keyword was. If anybody wants to win a hoodie, we'll see. 705-710-8545. As we wait for somebody to call because there is a little bit behind. Maybe nobody will call. Maybe nobody remembers. We'll see. We're going to be back next Monday night, I believe, with Sam Gagne of the Winnipeg Jets. Really excited uh, to get Sam on here. He's become a good friend of mine over the past eight months. There we go. We got a call. We have a Mark Cowan calling. I'll try to put it on speakerphone here. Mark? How are we doing, buddy? 
Good. What is the key word to win this hoodie? He got it. Muskoka Hockey, Mark Cowan. All right, buddy. Send me, uh, I'll send you a message. Thanks so much for playing along. Congrats. And and thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, you watch the show regularly, don't you? Yeah, well, thank you so much for all your support. I'm going to send you a message. I think you may have ordered something from Puck Support already, so I think I might have your address in our database. Is that correct, too? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Mark. Thank you so much, man. Uh, appreciate the phone call and uh, all the support, and we'll get that out to you uh, this week sometime. Okay, Mark? Yeah, thank you. Okay, buddy. Thank you. All right, Mark. Oh, we got... We got more people calling. I'm just going to have to mute that and finish the show. Congratulations to Mark Cowan. He is our winner. He is our winner. If you're calling, please stop calling. (laughs) It's all in good fun. I'm just playing around. Congratulations to Mark Cowan. That's awesome. Phone's still ringing. I'm going to have to answer just to say hi. Um, I am going to wrap this show up, but before I do that, you know, I just, I, I really do want to, s- they keep calling. I just want to say thank you to everybody. I, I do this all the time at the end of the podcast, but I hope people can really understand how much I appreciate their support, their ongoing support. There's been people that have watched this show when I had no social media following, when I didn't have a single friend, really, when I had no money, when nobody knew who I was. I had no teeth. I was probably 40 pounds lighter and looked like I was still using drugs. And there was a whole bunch of you that believed in me back then. And I just am so grateful to you. And and if you're new, if you're new around here, I'm just as grateful to you as well, because this show is what gave me my purpose to, to fight to get my life back. And it could have went a completely other direction. I could have done it and people could have been like, what is this guy talking about? This guy's an idiot. This guy's a loser. And let me tell you, I bet you there was a whole bunch of people that did that anyways. But I didn't hear any of that. I didn't have to see any of that. All I saw was love. I saw that when I reached out that there was a whole community of people that extended their hand and and pulled me up. And for that, I'm so grateful. And three months or four months, whatever it's been since I sat in this chair and and done a podcast, it was a really hard three months. You know, people get to see little glimpses of me on social media here and there. And yeah, I share the bad stuff in, in little bits here and there. And I'll tell you that I'm not doing great or whatever, but it, it was really dark. Polly talked about suicidal ideations and, you know, there's never been a time in my life where I had more of those thoughts than in the last couple of months, sometimes not even knowing why, you know, when you think you've done the work and you're still feeling that way, it's pretty tough. But what I've realized is that, Hey, you never stop doing the work. Not when you've lived the life that I've lived, that Polly has lived, that, Know that any of us have lived. If you want to get better every day, you have to work at it. And there's so much in my life that I've yet to uncover. There's traumas that I've yet to go back and face and work through. I thought I had done enough of enough work 
But when I reflect back to my sexual abuse trauma counseling, which I started roughly three years ago that only lasted a couple of months, I maybe had 10 or 12 sessions. I think back to the way that I participated during that therapy. And yeah, I showed up. Yeah, I talked about it a little bit. But I was not willing because maybe I wasn't ready to really dig in. And because I didn't really dig in, I think a lot of that stuff is still coming back. And it's not just the sexual abuse trauma. It's the separation of my parents. It's the bullying and hazing that I went through in hockey. It is the trauma that I got when I, you know, try to ask for help for the first time and got slapped in the face by my ex fiance had my wedding canceled. Like that's a lot. And then painted to be the asshole drug addict that can't be a dad anymore. Like that was tough. And that pushed me to, to like Polly said so many times where he was just hoping to die. That's what, that's the way I was living my life, but I don't want to die. Right. So when I get these suicidal ideations, like it's not that I want to die, it's just that I know that there's some stuff going on that I need to work through. And now's the time for me to step up, put my money where my mouth is. If you're going to walk the walk, you got to talk the talk. And so I'm going to say it here publicly, as I said on Instagram earlier, you know, I need to do a better job taking care of myself. And that involves reaching out and asking for help. And that's just what I need to do. It's been really, really tough these last few months. I think most people watching or listening, they know that I have a young daughter named Veda and I haven't seen her since November. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's been so difficult to know that I'm in a place that mentally, spiritually, though I've been struggling mentally, spiritually, I'm in a better place than I've ever been not using drugs. I have the best people I've ever had in my life today from a support system, from a partner. I have better relationships with or better relationship with my dad than I've ever had, even though he lives far away. I have real friends and, uh, and real people that not only want to support me, but also want to support my young daughter, Veda. And uh, it, it's been extremely challenging to not really be able to do anything about it. So Wednesday, by the time next podcast comes, I'll have had my first court appearance in family court, trying to get access, some sort of custody for, for Veda. But again, I, I hate court. Like Polly said, I hate court. I hate going to court. I hate all the whole process. I can't tell you how many days I spent in court prior family court from my ex and, and my kids in a past relationship where I got shredded and made look like a fool because I was an addiction. I was in a much different place, but then had my kids ripped from me. So there's some trauma there. And then the criminal court, the days and days and days I spent in the courthouse, in the box, being handcuffed, the whole thing. It's tough for me to walk back in to a courthouse. I never in a million years wanted to have to go down this road. For me, I, I'm a really good dad. I love my daughter. I love all my kids more than anything. I want to be there. I want to be a part of it so badly. And the reason why I'm not is just such bullshit. But I'm trusting the process. 
I'm going to put my faith in the court system. I'm representing myself because I can't afford a lawyer. But to me, it's pretty cut and dry. It's, it's, I'm in a good place. I just want to be a dad. And that's sort of the case that I'm going to present. So I'm hoping that something can happen here on Wednesday. I know it's going to be a long process. But this was almost enough for me to just say, fuck it. Because I just, it's been really painful. Really painful. Just super grateful to to have the people that I have around me. Even though I often don't utilize them or talk about it. Just knowing that I have their love and support is has been enough to keep me going through the darkest of times. And let me tell you, it's been really, really dark. Really, really dark. I don't have much else to say here tonight. I'm just so appreciative to Polly uh, for coming on the show. If you're watching on Facebook, if you could please go over and subscribe to YouTube, Hockey to Helen Back. If you're watching on YouTube, please press subscribe, turn on the notifications. I'm really going to try to grow the YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be doing some other things on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, you know, sharing, you know, a little bit more in depth of, of my life, our life together with Jenna and, and on the road and, and kind of open that up. So subscribe to, to the YouTube channel. That's, that's one thing I could ask of you, please. Um, puck support, puck support.com. Get yourself some merchandise, please support the cause more than anything. It, it, it really helps ignite conversations, whether it's in the, ice rink, whether it's in schools, whether it's at your workplace, I get messages every day from people who wear puck support, whether it's something like I have on now or the mental health over hockey, or it's okay to be not okay. Pain is real, but so is hope. And it's happened. It happens to me so much so that sometimes when we go out, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I want to wear puck support because I just want to enjoy a meal and I don't want to have to get into my story, but it opens up conversations about hard topics that need to be heard because pretending like this stuff isn't happening is not working. It's just simply not working. We all need to show up. We all need to have a, a part in this. People need to help people. I really truly believe that that's the way out of this is, is just being good people. If we can all just, instill those values and hold each other accountable and show up for one another. I really think that that's a huge piece when we talk about mental health, trauma, addiction. Congratulations to Mark Cowan. Also, he's going to get one of these coins. You can't get these anywhere unless they're given to you. It's got the ribbon on the back. I don't know if you can see it. Can we see that? There we go. To all those we have lost, we think of you often. Oh, making a mess on my desk here. Puck support, pucksupport.com, at puck support on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, at mental health hockey, I certainly appreciate all the messages. If I don't get back to you right away, please don't take offense to it. It's uh, It's been hard to keep up with everything that's been going on. 
Um, but I really appreciate all the messages and I will get back to you uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. We have a promo code going on for puck support right now. I'm asking myself. Let's see. What's this one? There we go. Use the promo code HOPE. It's going to save you 15% off. And you only have till Saturday to get one of these limited edition. Have a great day if you so choose hoodies. So PuckSupport.com. Go get yours. We'll see you here next Monday night, I believe at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm waiting for confirmation from Sam Gagne um, to confirm that. We also have Corey Hirsch in the rotation coming. He's got a very powerful story amongst others. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And to all my family back there in BC, I love and I miss you dearly. And we're going to be heading out that way soon. If you want to hear me speak in your community, please send an email to jenna at pucksupport.com. We're really excited to get on the road and travel Canada, trying to leave an impact wherever we go. Anyways, that's it for me. We'll see you guys next Monday night. And until then... Stay grateful, be kind, and always have a great day if you so choose. Hockey was my life, rookie of the year. Swift as a Bronco, they stop at my gear. Mask the pain when insane, yearning for that buzz. Twelve your journey through the depths of hell. Criminal fentanyl, I struggled, I fell. Abused, confused, that's the shadow of who I once was. Can't sleep, restless week. Go down, not a remedy. I need to get my life gear back on track. Used to toe drag him like Wayne Gretzky And now I'm toe-tacking homeless on Hastings Intervenous drugs weren't in the gang notes The wrong kind of high to ride the lightning Sideboard ignored and hot and frightened Hockey to hell and back was my recovery road Talking, ignite the chain that forgave me this real, but the soul is lost. The game changes from my former convictions. Now I live for the fuck addiction. I got honest to honor the ones we lost. Finally doing what I'm meant to do. 
Stop on your blade, you can follow me too. Give me your ear, you hockey and hair and back podcast. Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, I dread a beat. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions strained, I can't stop crying. Except my reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's hockey to hell and back. Pretty leaves won't hockey to hell and back.